0: For June 12th, 2007, this is episode
1: 17 of Potterfic Weekly. Welcome to the place where the story never ends. Hey Ron, the next time. This is Ryan.
2: This
0: is Jan. This is G.
1: And I'm Phil, coming to you through the magic of pre-recorded voicemail.
3: We have (laughs) so much to tell you.
0: Oh my god. Did you
3: ever have one of those days where your your loved one or your parent or your brother or your sister went away for like a week and came back and everything was different? This is one of the weeks we've had at uh, Potterfic Weekly. (laughs) Where do we start? We'll start with Phil. Thank you very much. Phil, who you're probably hearing his voice right now because he's doing his Phil from the past thing. Phil
2: from the future.
3: Well, we figured out he's actually in the past because he recorded it before and now he's coming to the future. Okay. He's going to the future, but he's in the past. Beautifully put Ryan. Okay. Phil and his wife and his children, you know, the, the family of Phil Casa, Phil decided that they wanted to expand. They were going to look into adopting, you know, the the next generation of Phil, basically. And usually when these things happen, it's a very long court process and there's paperwork to fill out and you have to go to classes. I'm assuming, and I'm sure the federal government somehow gets involved. Phil found out yesterday that he's getting a baby girl tomorrow and it's one of those oh. freak things that just worked out perfectly for him and he has he, to remember how to change diapers and I don't think he has any clothes and they <laughs> named the baby in the car and he called me tonight <laughs> and he's all excited and he's and he's picking up his daughter tomorrow so on b- behalf of Fake Weekly go Phil and may she read Harry Potter you know
2: congratulations I just yes I just want to say how absolutely wonderful it is that Phil is adopting a baby girl I think that's just like... I think that's the best thing a human being can do. I think it's, it's amazing.
0: And it's Phil. How cool would it be for Phil to be your dad? Like,
1: seriously. I completely agree. Phil's so Phil nicest, is the nicest... He's
3: the nicest... He's one of the nicest guys I've ever met. I mean, seriously, think about this. We've been doing... He's been on the podcast since episode eleven. This is episode what seventeen? He's been here for like six weeks. We, we just met, but you, you instantly just take a liking to him. He's the nicest guy you could ever possibly meet. and I'm just so thrilled for him. And I told him that you know the members of our forum are going to be like surrogate godparents, and we want pictures immediately so we can start making yeah. baby noises right at our monitors right away. So within just, hours, within so. hours, we want within pictures. Hours. We want yes. him to steal the picture from his baby's file and. Post it on our forum so we could all gawk at it and be like, "Ooh, baby, baby, baby!" So we're 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 just so excited for Phil. So Phil's number one. Number two, we've decided that the fic that we're going to be covering after uh, the seventh Horcrux, which we start tonight, will be a fic by Aspen in the sunlight called "A Year Like None Other." It is a fic that focuses on uh, Harry and uh, Severus Snape with some Draco Malfoy thrown in for some good measure and once we announced that we were going to cover this fic our forum doubled in size
2: <laughs> over, over a
3: 6 hour period and, and and we were all online during these 6 hours and we thought we were under attack and i'm just kidding, it was it was
2: awesome, all <laughs> it these new, it people,
3: awesome. Pe- new people are coming uh, Mac and Kate, our head boy and our head girl, usually greet people as they come, you know, three, four a week, and they were coming three, four a minute. So it was, they were handing out t shirts, and you know, we ran out <laughs> of ice. It was awesome. So we're, we have a lot of new members in the forum, so we're really excited about that. Um, it, it's becoming a really, really fun place to be, so I, you know, usually spend all my time there and forget to pay my bills. But
0: this <laughs> is the perfect weekly forum. Yes.
3: What else yes. do we have for news? Jen! Oh, my God, Jen. This is why we love Jen. Now, Jen may be giggling right now a little bit more than usual, and there is a reason for that. Jen is on Vicodin at the moment.
2: Oh, Vicodin. Here's I'm not sure it is Vicodin, but it's close up there.
3: All right, here's the story. Jen visited some friends in Wisconsin, and Jen you know, got back on the plane, and she flew home to Texas. And Jen, what happened in the car ride on the way home?
2: I got sick. I've passed out. Jen Uh-oh. had to
3: have an emergency appendectomy. And she's yeah. fine, and her husband is, is a doctor, and she's she's in b- b- great care, is being taken care of our Jen. The yes, funny thing is, is that Jen is one of those people that you may have met in your life who can't hold her liquor. And <laughs>
2: oh, that's not fair. A
3: similar thing happens when Jen takes prescription pain medication. So, oh my God! <laughs> it's it's been a very fun week with Jen, and we love her so much, and we want her to get better. But we are on some level enjoying the Viking vicariously <laughs> through Jen.
2: Oh my God!
3: It's like hanging out at Cheers, the bar. It's you don't oh, have you. to drink; oh. you just have to hang out there. So, Jen, uh, we we hope we're not taking advantage of the situation, and we hope you're you're feeling better. And we
2: I just no, and I have say- to say, oh no. Hold on. I have <laughs> to say that I think that it's so funny that because we, I was on the forums and Ryan was literally like following me around like editing my posts and like deleting the ones that aren't, you know, sane and like and I, I just have to say that I really appreciated that. Afterwards, like the day after I would wake up and everybody would tell me all the little fun little things Jen said the night before, like you know, stop talking to your shoes and,
3: you know She make- said Danielle, she sent my girlfriend Danielle an essay on my oh shoes my are God. important.
2: And I was, like, telling her about my Birkenstocks and, like, my spelling goes, like, second grade. I swear, I'm not oh really... God,
3: I swear to God, Jen called me and IM'd me at midnight and said, I need Danielle's telephone number. I'm like, well, Jen, I think she's asleep. Oh, What's my... your question? Can you tell me the difference between baking and cooking?
2: <laughs> oh, evidently it was important at the time. I don't... I don't know. In the
3: fight you had with Mr. George, your next door neighbor, about his TV yes. volume. Yes,
2: no, it was. I was defending him. Like I made everybody in the room talk in a whisper because <laughs> I was afraid that we would um, wake up Mr. George, the neighbor from next door. He doesn't like it when people talk loud <laughs> Jen, and interrupts his ne- sleep. Jen,
3: do you have a next door neighbor named <laughs> Mr. George?
2: no i don't have a neighbor actually we live like two miles away from the the closest other house like like, it's just completely and i was very serious and everyone that came in the room like i was like ecstatic about them being very quiet so i've had numerous numerous things and my poor husband oh my poor husband
3: jen asked me why does James keep looking at me saying, I want to suck your blood? And I said, Jen, you thought he was a vampire. You kept telling him he was a vampire and to get away from you.
2: He kept taking blood. Oh. All right. Oh, so. the poor God. But I'm fine. I'm so fine.
3: Just wait for the blooper reel, everybody. She and I were looking at each other like, do we let her on the podcast? Right.
2: Well, we kind of
0: decided that if, she didn't, if you don't sound coherent, we'll just... Make a graceful
2: exit for you, Jen. (laughs) We don't want you to be Like what a gong smash. (laughs) And that's enough (laughs) of Jen.
0: If some of the things that you said to me the other night ever get out in public, I don't think you would ever speak to me again.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Um,
3: I was um, concerned. I was concerned because when I said, Jen, you know, I'll be there in a minute, meaning in the Skype room to record tonight's episode, she said, Where are we going? (laughs) <laughs> and then she got lost on her way at the Skype room, so I was concerned. Oh.
2: And I'm, I'm I'm not totally gone yet, too, and that's sad.
3: Oh, God. Well, oh. let's jump into tonight's episode before Jen says something which gets us canceled.
2: <laughs> Funny <laughs> how oh, we... Oh, Lord. I don't think Lord.
0: we can get canceled, can we? <laughs> like, a,
3: We, we unless... might not... Maybe we won't get picked up for a second season. I have no idea. All right.
0: Yeah. Sure. All
3: right. So to um, just cover a little bit of housekeeping. Uh, housekeeping. We are starting our second fic tonight. We are starting the seventh Horcrux by Melinda Leo. Now mm-hmm. I have to just stop for a second. We've been talking about Phil and Jen. I just want to talk for a second about uh, Melinda Leo. The only interaction I had with her uh, prior to a few weeks ago was I read um, her Power of Emotion series on vacation a few years ago. She was one of many authors I had read from. I enjoyed her stuff very much. Uh, since then, we've had her on the podcast. I've started reading the Seventh Horcrux, and um, I've gone to know her. You know, just on the forums, she's joined uh, the perfect Weekly forum, so I kind of talked to her a lot. She is one of the nicest, sweetest people I think I've ever met. I, I just can't say enough. About Melinda, I was listening to um, Pottercast today, which I am hopelessly behind on, so I was on episode 88 of Pottercast, and I was listening to uh, Melinda tell the story of what happened.
2: Really? Oh, I was so impressed with the way that she did that. I thought it was lovely.
3: For those of you who um, aren't up on it, what happened was someone took the 7th Horcrux um, off of the internet, packaged it on BitTorrent, Named it Deathly Hallows, and tried to get it out there as a leaked copy of the book. so people were actually reading the Seventh War crux, thinking it was Deathly Hallows, and at one point people were selling it to other people, which is a huge deal with fan fiction you 're not supposed to make any money from it whatsoever it's one of those things where
0: it's a good it's a good way to bring the whole fandom crashing down yeah it could it <laughs> could
3: certainly end. The fandom, if Joe wasn't so supportive of this fandom, it wouldn't exist. You know, plain and simple. These are, this is her property. Everything here belongs to Joe. We're just playing with it for a little bit. So it was one of those things. Someone stole Melinda's work and put it out there for everyone to see. And of course, it looks like Melinda's doing this, which couldn't be further from the truth. So she had to call lawyers and she had to call Scholastic and she had to try and alert everyone that, you know, she, had nothing to do with this. And it, I knew the story, but I didn't know how bad it actually was. And listening to Melinda today, I, it was one of those things where, you know, like Jules from our forum and Neville, how she kind of wants to jump between him and the, and the Avada Cadaver curse. I, I kind of wanted to like be Melinda's bodyguard for the day. Like I felt so bad that someone did this to Melinda. So one thing I hope to do um, over the next seven episodes is just really, Bringing 7th Horcrux back to where it belongs A really fun fan fiction that everyone Can enjoy because there's, there's a lot Of good stuff in here from what I've read so far um, I haven't finished it yet But for everything that Melinda's done for the Fandom I just definitely want to focus On the reason she wrote the fic In the beginning to tell a really good story And to enjoy it and if we ever Find the people who did this send them Our way <laughs>
0: Yeah we'll take care of them um, I, Oh I, yeah we will I, I want to say that you know where I think all of us at Potterpedia are, are really proud of Melinda and, and and the way that she handled the situation and and um, how you know all the administrators of the websites got it out there and alerted everybody. I was I was very impressed by the professionalism of the fandom. So in relation to what happened. Sometimes we're not very professional about what we do and um, when I, I think when it comes right down to it when it really matters, you know when, when people's livelihoods are on the line, then the fandom steps up and, and it was kind of a great example of the best and the worst of the fandom.
3: And the last two things we want to cover tonight, we're looking at uh, two new podcast segments that we're going to hopefully roll out over the next few weeks. We've had some scheduling problems, which just hasn't worked out well. We're looking to release a special podcast that actually uh, Chi and Melinda and uh, Aki Bell from our forums and a few others are looking to put together on the behind the scenes of writing fan fiction it's going to be a real workshop we've talked about that before so if anyone is interested in you know discussing how fanfic is created if anyone needs help you know, writing fan fiction, and they're not shy at all, and would like to you know incorporate that into the show. You know, email uh, staff at powerfickweekly.com and we'll definitely uh, work with you on that because that could be really fun. And uh, Jen had a great idea last night, which I think was uh, b- between Viking and doses. And uh, one mm-hmm, thing mm-hmm. she would like to—you'd laugh, but it's true. One thing uh, Jen would like to organize over the next few weeks. Is a podcast segment called, um, we're going to call it Master Fic Theater, and we're looking to bring members of our forum together and some of our listeners and um, act out scenes from our favorite fan fictions. So we're not going to put them in regular episodes, but we may release them you know, as they're completed just to have a really good time. So if you would like to do any voice work or you have suggestions as to how to get that done that you would like to contribute to us, uh, email staff at com. And that's all I have. So why don't we jump into tonight's episode? Uh, We're going to cover the first five chapters of The Seventh Horcrux by Melinda Leo tonight. Uh, You can find this fic on MelindaLeo.com, and there are links to it on uh, PowerFicWeekly.com as well. Let me talk very briefly about the reason we want to discuss uh, this fic after After the End. Number one, I haven't read it. I'm in the process of reading it along Mm -hmm. with you. That's actually one thing that we don't talk enough about on the podcast. We will not spoil what comes ahead. If we're talking up to Chapter 5 tonight, we're only going to go as far as Chapter 5. We're not going to spoil anything beyond that. So to anyone now or in the future who wants to listen to the show as they're reading a fic to get instant gratification, you can definitely do that. We're not going to, you know, yell, Snape killed Dumbledore at the end or whatever. Right. Yeah. Uh, and the reason we wanted to talk about The Seventh Horcrux, the reason I wanted to talk about The Seventh Horcrux, is I have never read a post-Half-Blood Prince fic. I've never read anything Really? I, I never have. This is the first one that I've read. I've read lots of post-Order of the Phoenix fics. I've read post-Hogwarts. I've read Marauders a little bit. I've, I've read mm. all over the place, but I've never read post-Half-Blood um, Prince that's not, you know, one shot or a missing moment or anything like that. So I really... Wanted to experience that before uh, the canon ends in about six weeks. So we're going to no, get definitely. the seventh. So we're going to get the seventh Horcrux in uh, by the Deathly Hallows release, and then we're going to review Deathly Hallows, and then we're going to move on to um, a year like none other. So one thing I would really like to point out is, as someone who has read a lot of post, uh, whether the Phoenix Fix, when you think about where that is in the storyline. Order of the Phoenix leaves you with the prophecy. It leaves you with the knowledge of why things have happened to Harry. It leaves you with the death of Sirius. It leaves you with, you know, a fractured relationship with Dumbledore. It leaves you with some amount of hope that the Order will look out for Harry even if they're sending him back to the Dursleys. And you don't really know where the story's going from there. And if you stop to think about it, uh, Half-Blood Prince and, when it comes out in a few weeks, Deathly Hallows, are really like a two-part finale. And they really take everything you learned in the first five books and they really bring you up a mountain in Half-Blood Prince, drop you off, and then you you have the final, you know, installment in, in Deathly Hallows. Whether The Phoenix is a really good place to end because... Authors can take the story in a billion different ways, and there's a right. lot of freedom for the author.
0: Melinda and I actually just talked about this when we were doing the writing podcast, mm-hmm. and, um, and and the difficulty is that you know it's a roadmap. You know, you can you have to go certain places. You know, you have to do certain things. Whereas Order of the Phoenix, you could you could go right. like you said in several different directions. Right. So. Think,
3: think about everything you're stuck with. You have to resolve: Is Snape good or evil? You have to bring Harry to the borough for Bill and Fleur's wedding. You have to bring him on the Horcrux hunt, the Horcruxes. She tells you how the story will end. The story will end with the hunt for the Horcruxes. That's the storyline. Yeah. You, you, you were going to go to, to Godric's Hollow. You were going to, you know, find out if Hogwarts, you know, is open or closed. It really, it, she even tells you what most of the Horcruxes are. It, it leaves you with a very basic roadmap of where Deathly Hallows will take you. You don't know how it will take you there, but you know where you're going. And I think that really is a straitjacket for a fanfiction author, because they have to write Joe's story. They can't write their own. They can write Joe's story their own way, but if you're not particularly fond of the Horcrux idea, or if you really don't like Bill and Fleur, it's going to be kind of boring. So... I want to just point out as we start that when we go through this fic, this is Melinda, who I think is a masterful author, trying to kind of duck around the requirements that Joe set out when she finished Half-Blood Prince. I know fan fiction authors do that a lot. Authors have challenges for each other, and do those produce the best fanfics? I'd say they may be the most imaginative ones, but I think the best fanfic is one that an author sits down and and writes themselves because they have an original idea. And even saying that, I'm very impressed by the seventh rec so far. So just wanted Mm -hmm. to chime in. Given
0: what she she had to work with, I know that the reason I didn't write a post-Half-Blood Prince um, story was, A, I'd already written my requisite, you know, Harry's year at Hogwarts fic, and B, um, it was just too, it was too constricting. I, I would much rather play in the Marauders universe or post-Hogwarts. I would much rather do what most people are doing now. Um, so uh, so kudos to Melinda for, for trying to do something that's very challenging creatively.
3: Creatively challenging. Uh, before we jump in, why don't we
1: hear what Phil has to say. Okay, so here's my take on Chapter 1 of The Seventh Horcrux. Um, to me, when I was reading this, there were two major themes that sort of came through in this first chapter. Obviously, the first one being, uh, Dudley's newfound powers, or I guess I should say newly discovered powers. He's, he's had them, uh, all along. It's just that it was a deep, dark secret that was never revealed. And then the other thing being the, the, uh, typical hero's, um, dilemma of choosing love over choosing the mission at hand. And I think both of those are really important themes in this first chapter. Um, start with Dudley. The I, I really liked this. I thought this was a very cool uh, piece of information to reveal in this story. It's It's something that has been speculated about for quite some time, but never really confirmed, obviously, in any of the canon books. And I liked the way that it was handled... Uh, in this story because Dudley was not aware. He was, he was kind of at 16 where Harry was when he was, you know, say nine, ten years old, of making these things happen and not understanding why. Um, but the difference for Dudley versus Harry is that when Harry had this happen, he really truly didn't understand anything about it. He had no idea where these things were coming from. Versus Dudley, who thinks, he knows that there is magic that exists in the world. He doesn't think that he's creating it, but he knows that it's there. So for him, and and on top of that, he's been raised to believe that if you practice magic, if you have any special powers, you are literally a freak. And so it's terrifying to him. And you can see that in this chapter. I think it was very well written. Uh, Dudley's reactions to the things that that had obviously been happening before he had arrived, uh, before Harry had arrived, and obviously to the incident that happened after Harry arrived. I thought uh, that was very well written and very well thought out. And obviously, I haven't uh, gotten deep enough in the story to confirm this yet, but my initial suspicion is that the reason that Dudley is suddenly able to do these things again is because of Dumbledore's death. Uh, I think it's pretty obvious that as long as Dumbledore was alive, that protective magic that he had put on Dudley, or whatever kind of magic he had put on Dudley, remained in place. But as soon as he had died, then the magic that was keeping Dudley sort of contained died with him. And so that's why these things had started happening again. And I thought, once again, that was a very cool sort of plot twist uh, for Dudley's uh, discovery, once again, of these powers that he has had all along. Now, of course, the other thing that happened throughout this chapter, and what is something that obviously happens throughout this story, is Harry's uh, inability to stop thinking about Ginny at any point. Uh, Obviously, he's coming right out of this school year where all these tragic things had happened uh, culminating, of course, in the death of Dumbledore, but also uh, something very wonderful had happened to him, and that was that he had, had discovered what he felt for Ginny and had acted upon it. And uh, for him to have walked away from her and broken up with her really, I think, is, is very indicative of the, the uh, as I said before, sort of the typical hero's quest, Knowing that your life and what you are here to do is bigger than what love could have room for, I guess, would be the best way to say that. It's that there are bigger, larger tasks at hand. And Harry is currently in that stage where he's thinking, I, not only do I not have time to, to fall in love, to, to be with somebody... I, I can't do that. I, I can't allow myself to fall in love for a couple of reasons. Number one, and he says this in the chapter to himself, he literally can't allow anything to happen to Jenny. He cares too much for her to allow something to happen to her. And that's a big thing. And number two, he feels like love can be a dangerous thing for him uh, because it could be a distraction for him. It could be something that could cause him to not act the way that he needs to act in the moment when uh, and if things do culminate. uh, And and that's a real scary thought for him as well, which is interesting from a character perspective because you look at what has kept Harry alive all these years and what has literally kept him alive is love. Uh, The love that his parents showed for him uh, is what saved him in the first place and the love of all of his friends that have surrounded him since is what has kept him going. So it's it's interesting that he would get to this stage and think, "I can't do this. I can't love at this point because uh, it it could it could end up being my undoing." And so it's it's really it's preservation of Ginny, of course, but it's also self preservation. He doesn't want to feel that way because I think there's a there's a um, moment in the in the chapter here where he talks about how he. He, didn't, he wasn't able to do it because he, he had things that he had to do. And bef- until he does those things, he won't be able to move on with his life. And he's honestly, I think at this point in the story, even before we get into the later chapters, he believes that he is going to not be around at the end of all this. And so there's there's got to be a part of him that's thinking, what's the point? You know, in, in some small way... You know, I, I I have these feelings for Ginny, and uh, as it says in the chapter, Ginny makes me want to to get more out of life. But then the question becomes, do I want to open myself up to that? Do Because if I truly believe inside that I'm not going to be around when this is over, what's the point of falling in love? What's the point of, of opening up this whole world to me that will suddenly be ripped away when... Uh, when the, the battle occurs, when the time comes. So in a lot of ways, it's similar to the attachment issues that he's had throughout his entire life, where it's him not wanting to allow something in for the fear that it might go away. And in this particular case, it's beyond that, I think. It's the fear that uh, uh, there's there are things that he's not even aware of that he wants out of life. And Ginny is starting to show him what those things are, and it's terrifying to him. So that's it's it's really profound uh, for him to to be facing this this fork in the road and think I I can't walk with Ginny down this path. I have to walk this path alone. It's the classic hero struggle.
3: Thanks, Phil. Phil made sure this week that he didn't record the forty-two minute voicemail, so he decided to break it up into nice small little sections. So thanks, buddy. And what do we all think on chapter one? What do you think, Chi?
0: Um, you know this um, chapter. Um, I have my notes right in front of me. Let me pull them up. Um, I, I, there's some great things in here that I'm gonna hit, and there are some things in here that um, I thought maybe were a little too contrived and a little too forced. Um, because, like I said, you know, Melinda's working with a roadmap, and the real challenge of writing a story with a roadmap already made by somebody else is how do you make it seem effortless? And, um, you know, there are some points here where I think she succeeds, and there are some points here where I don't think she succeeds. Um, For instance, um, I want to hit really fast um, Harry's, the introduction of Harry's relationship with Jenny. Okay. Um, because this is one of the points of the story that I thought maybe was a little too... It, it feels a little bit like, you know, have you ever driven like a really old car? And it takes like when you put it in drive, it like takes it half a second to like start uh, going the direction that you think it should be going. Yeah. um That's what this felt like to me. You had to throw it into gear and then you had to wait. Um, because, you know, the, Harry and Jenny in the canon, they've only been dating and... For the record, I'm a Harry Jenny fan, so it's not like I have something against the ship, but um, they've only been dating in in canon for, like, what, three months, and, um, you know, Harry is, um, he's so in love with her, and how is he going to live without her, and I was like, eh, like, whatever. (laughs) Like, you know, I, I would, I'm just having a hard time assimilating that, because, It's not something I recall from canon. And I might be wrong, but I don't remember Harry being desperately in love with Jenny. I remember him being very attracted to her and their relationship was really starting to go somewhere. But I don't remember this, like, I can't live without you, you know, deep abiding love yet. Because they're 17. (laughs) Like, I don't know many people that are capable of, at 17... Really deep, abiding, like I can't live without you, love. And so this kind of was like a little too, a little too romance novely, a little too, um, just a little too forced. Like Melinda was trying to pick up the story where she wanted it to be, not necessarily where Half Blood Prince left it. I think the story would have been a lot better if he, she would have started off with him missing Jenny, but not necessarily like you know pining the way that he does and then you know over the course of the year he finally he just kind of discovers what Jenny has been doing for him like mentally Um, but you know it's just a creative choice and and, um, that was my feeling on it so I've talked for long enough somebody else go in
2: some regards I agree with what she's saying that I felt that Harry was very much amidst a romantic novel you know like one of those girly ones that she read on a rainy day um, just the way he pines for her. But at the same time, I have to admit that I really liked the interaction between Harry and Ron because Ron knows he's pining. That kind of, you know, hmm. that kind of interaction, that kind of dialogue, I was loving. Um, I, I have to admit though that I found that the, the, every other sentence, Jenny period, slightly, um, it took me out of the story rather than made me feel like it was very profound and deep and i felt and i know i've talked about this but in in reading it like that i felt very much like um then after the end one word they could say things very simply with one word even and it would just mean so much. And it was so deep. And, like, I have no idea how it came across that way. But in this first chapter, when they say, you know, the word, like, Jenny, period, like, I don't, I felt that it was too early to start him pining away like that. I didn't feel that profound I didn't get in, I couldn't get into it as easy. Well, it, was um, it felt like a word.
0: Get the pool without any swimming lessons,
2: <laughs> exactly. It just felt like a word, and so and because of that, it was hard for me to like get into it. And so I kind of just took it in stride. And so that was something that I kind of had wished that maybe she had waited just a little bit longer. I mean, but I, at the other hand, I really like how they show us right off where her Harry and her world is starting. He is, you know, her Harry in the in the world that she's created with her fake. He's obviously a little. He obviously pines for Jenny, and that's fine with me. Um, and and it's not like she just started off with him like she had him. She had him go through the right emotions. It wasn't just like I didn't feel like it ended and we picked up with a new brand new Harry. Like I felt that she explained the pining process enough. But for this fic, it was believable. It was good. Does that make sense?
3: It does. I mean, one thing that's very clear here is, you know, at the end of Warrior of the Phoenix, there wasn't, you know, know, the gong was slammed and you have a whole new story coming out at the beginning of the next one. This is essentially a continuation. And there are parts to Half-Blood Prince that I would suspect Melinda did not like where the story ended and wanted to rectify that. And one thing that I can tell that I know Melinda is very into ships. I know Melinda is very into the Harry Jenny relationship and she's more relationship oriented than Joe is. And to be quite frank, anyone who's in fan fiction and and loves it and reads it, you know, and, and, you know, goes on, you know, the websites that we tend to go on and, you know, reads the effects we tend to read is probably going to be more relationship oriented than Joe is. So I, I, I think there in, in these early chapters, there are some scenes between you know Half-Blood Prince and the Seventh Horcrux because Melinda I, I you can tell is trying to realign the characters just a bit like she said yeah. to tell the story she wanted to tell and to be honest I'm somewhat okay with that. I mean here's the thing, you know Harry breaks up with Ginny at the end of Half-Blood Prince. Now I along with you know Phil and Mac and half of the free world apparently was throwing things at the book, screaming you idiot, you idiot what are you doing, but you know, we, that that isn't the story we wanted. And after having read, you know, fan fiction since that came out, you know, after the end, you know, told the story I wanted to hear, you know, Curse of the Damned, you know, Power of Emotion, you know, maybe the Seventh Horcrux. tell the story of Harry and Ginny, which is, I think, it, it is, is a very – solid perspective to tell on the hero's tale, tell it through how he deals with the girl he loves. So right. it's it's difficult to go back and remember, well, in canon, does he love Ginny yet? Does he not love Ginny yet? But I definitely take what Jen's saying. You're three or four paragraphs into the fic, and, and Harry is 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 pining for Ginny. Well, I don't think he would have done that based on what we saw at the end of half Prince. He seemed you know, damn determined to do this. So... I definitely yeah. think there 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 are some seams here, and I think Melinda wanted to tell a different story than Joe had started to tell. So, is it noticeable? If you've read, you know, the last chapter of Half Blood Prince and the first chapter of you know, the Seventh Horcrux, absolutely, it's very noticeable. Yeah. You can tell the difference. But you know what? To get Melinda to the point where she needed to go, I'm okay with a few seams. Right. But I will That's, say, I, I, thought right. the, I thought the Gin, I thought the Ginny period, Ginny period, Ginny period, thing to get, to get a little old myself. I'm like.
2: Yeah. I was actually I was
3: actually putting it to music. It's like Jenny.
2: <laughs> like Mandy. Exactly.
3: <laughs> Bloom.
2: Oh, oh my god. god. No uh, singing. Okay, here's my question. Um
0: one I have I have two questions about the Dursleys for you guys. Yep. Um, cuz I want I want I know my perspectives, but I want to know your perspectives. Um Shoot. Is it obvious to you, a, how much Melinda hates the Dursleys, <laughs> and B, what did too. you think of Dudley as a wizard? As a wizard? I thought. I'm just curious.
3: I thought Dudley as a wizard was excellent, considering Half Blood Prince. Because one thing that Jo does very well is she puts, you know, the the key to everything in plain sight. And when you read it, you think she's talking about something else, and she knows that. And when you come back around, you realize she got you. You know, the, think of the scene with Dumbledore and the Dursleys, and you know they get the they've got the, the 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 glasses bouncing on their heads, and they're not drinking. And you know Dudley, you know, is taking up the whole couch. she's sitting between them, and Dumbledore says, "At least you didn't mistreat Harry as you did, you know, this poor boy." What you think reading that is, you know, they, they, they haven't, you know, pushed him and they've coddled him and they've, you know, filled him, you know, with the, the, the feeling that he is perfect in every way and they haven't, you know, and, and they haven't let him see the real world and they haven't done well by him. When you read the seventh Horcrux, it takes on a completely different connotation. What if? they knew that he had the potential to be a great wizard and they refused to allow it. I thought that was great. I thought the concept of Dudley being a wizard was, at least in my mind, I hadn't thought of it. I thought it was original. I think everyone who reads Joe's clues thinks Petunia. So I thought that was, you know, kind of all the misdirection. I, I, I was a, I was a really big fan of, of, of Dudley being a wizard, just, now, you can argue, you know, the placement of it, you know, a few paragraphs into the story, you know, kind of came at you a little, a little too strong. And I think that's one of the things we're saying a little bit, you know, maybe, I don't know if we needed like a chapter to start things off or if that would have been too tedious, but I, I'm rambling. I thought it was
2: great. What do you think, Jen? I I have to agree that I wouldn't have said no to a chapter that would have kind of got things in order or, or explain things, not get things in order, that's not what I meant, explain things a little bit. You know, better to get us ready for the first chapter, maybe a prologue even. Um, But about Dudley, you know, Melinda and I actually had this conversation a while back, about a week or two ago. And I had, because initially I'd had such huge issue with Dudley having magic and not... Because she wrote that Dudley had magic, just the whole concept of it, because I was one of those people who can actually see Dudley getting magic in the final book and still having the same problem with it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um and in that, um it it's believable because it actually is something that is plausible. It could very well happen in the Seventh Horcrux. I mean, oh God, in Deathly Hollows. <laughs> and um you know, and, and because it, it, it's a reasonable, it could happen, it has to be believable in a fan fiction, I think. And, but, I have such issues with Dudley getting magic. Why is it? That- um, it makes Hogwarts lose some of its specialness, I think. It makes politics start coming in. You know, do the parents actually get to decide whether or not to send their child who has the, have these gifts to the school, to the school or into the world that will help them be the best person that they can be. I mean, where does that line get drawn and why does he get to decide? Why do some parents get to make that decision and others, do you know what I mean? Like it,
3: well, I'd say that they get to make the decision because they are parents, but you know, I, Melinda did comment on this, you know, on, on our forum. I just want to you know repeat some of her thoughts on it. The way she saw, it, and, and I tend to agree with her on this. You know, when we first hear the story of Harry Potter, and we know that there, you know, our letters are sent out when you turn eleven, and you know, parents find out that the thing that was wrong with their child this entire time is—is they're a wizard or they're a witch, and this is wonderful. We know, you know, why all these strange things are happening, and you know, the Creevy brothers, you know, their parents, you know, are, are are milkmen, and you know, Hermione's parents are dentists, and this is wonderful, and we're going to send our kids to this wondrous place. You have to imagine that. Okay, picture you, and you know you have an eleven-year-old, and you get a letter from you know an old Someone man, yeah, yeah. A, an old man you don't know in England who's a wizard, and he wants to teach your kids magic. Please send your kids on the first of September with you know a toad and a wooden stick, and we'll take care of them. I mean, most parents don't let their kids play in the street, you know, because they might get hit by a car or gra- grabbed by somebody. I mean, you have to imagine that you know when you're eleven and when you're you know. Harry and you are seeing Hogwarts for the first time—it's this wondrous place. You don't think, okay, maybe there's politics here, but I think that's a very reasonable interpretation. And look at you know the storyline that we just saw, in and after the end, when there's a war going on and parents are yanking their kids out of Hogwarts because it's not safe. I think parents have that opportunity to make that decision for their child. And did Dumbledore take that potential life away from Dudley? Yes, he did. But I think one of the things we've learned as we go forward in the story is that sometimes you have to pay a price for something. You have to make a choice. Choices define who you are. He made the choice to sacrifice the potential of Dudley's future in the wizarding world, which he had every reason to believe would be non-existent for Harry, for Harry's protection, because Harry needed to be protected. He did it all for Harry and it's a flawed decision, and I think it's a very human one, and I think it's something that Dumbledore.
2: Would
0: well, I don't think Dumbledore do. sprung out of bed in that morning and, and decided, you know, oh, I'm going to ruin, you know, I, I'm going to take away somebody's magical powers. I'm, I'm sure it wasn't like a spur of the moment
2: thing, you know. I, I
3: I'm sure that was Petunia's price, and I just tr-
2: can't see it. I just. In canon, and and I know, I just can't see him making another, well, God, it's Dumbledore. He's made a lot of bad mistakes lately. I just can't see him playing God with a person's feature just because um a muggle idiot woman chooses one fate for him. You know what I mean?
3: Well, look at it this way. If you're... Dumbledore, and you go to number four private drive to tell Petunia that her sister has died and she needs to take in Harry for his own protection. And we don't know when that happened. This could have happened well before, you know, James and Lily died and this could have been a preemptive measure. We don't know what the story is here, but.
0: Well, we do know that he just left the letter. He didn't, he didn't go in and see him. Like, in, in, in.
3: Yeah, but we don't know if there was any interaction between Dumbledore and Petunia before that. We don't know if there was yeah. an arrangement that was made and the leather was left saying, you know, per our agreement, you know, here is yeah. the baby, you, you know, you have, a, you will keep up your end of the bargain. And maybe when, you know, the leather comes from Dumbledore, remember my last, he's referencing the warning he gave. I don't know. But one thing I will say is that You know, Dumbledore goes to Petunia. Petunia says, These are my terms. You will keep my boy away from those freaks. And you're Dumbledore. And you know, there is no way she will possibly let Dudley go to Hogwarts. You know, I can, I can, you know, let him be who he is and he will never experience Hogwarts. She will not allow it. And by doing this, I could save Harry. I mean, I could see Dumbledore trying to be the idealist and always do the right thing. But if he was the idealist and always trying to do the right thing, he would have treated Harry much differently in Order of the Phoenix, and he would yes. have been up front with Harry. Dumbledore makes stupid decisions because he loves Harry too much, and I think he did it here. And I don't even think it was a stupid decision. I think it was a worthwhile decision. He saved Harry for 17 years at the cost of you know, Dudley's magical abilities, which he never would have been allowed to to, to use. He would have been crab or, or Goyle at best, and he would have not gone there at worst. So,
0: Yeah. Right, right. I completely, I mean, I, excuse me, I can see both sides of the argument and, like, here's my problem, gosh darn it. It's like she's giving us exposition with a capital E and shocking revelations, capitalized, you know? What mm-hmm. was my notes uh, on this chapter was there was too much plot Thrown at us at too short a time, like you know the big deal with um, Harry and Jenny, and you know we find out Dudley has magic, and then eventually Ron and Hermione are going to show up. And that's three major plot points yeah. in the space of like five thousand words, and like I'm just going oh, like my
3: head <laughs> is spinning. Can anyone yeah. else picture chi their computer like grabbing onto the desk, going oh my god, it's another one. Here. <laughs> Yeah, um, yeah, and I think that's, that's a great point. I mean, we have, you know, Ron and Hermione arriving and they're supposed to put, you know, you know, a spell on Dudley that will take away his magic again. And the magic that Dumbledore put on Dudley is failing. And I haven't read beyond the chapters for tonight, so I don't know, but I think Phil's right. I think it's failing because Dumbledore died. And don't tell me if I'm wrong, but, you know, I, I, I do see that as, you know, almost like the magic that You know, Dumbledore placed on Harry to keep him confined in the astronomy tower so that he couldn't risk his life to try and futilely save Dumbledore. You know, it, it snapped off the minute Dumbledore died. Harry was free. And, you know, this is ancient magic, maybe, that Dumbledore put on to Dudley, which has been, you know, applied over the course of 17 years slowly after, in the days after, um, you know, you know, Dumbledore's death, it starts coming out a little bit at a time, or maybe it was like a Band-Aid being ripped off, I don't know, but I, I thought that was a great subtle point that's not really mentioned, but I thought that was just a great little detail to add in there, that this is happening now, because Dumbledore is dead. It just, that felt completely, you know, that flowed very well for me, I thought at least. And, you know, when you have Petunia demand that Harry fix it <sighs> I felt the timing was a little bit off there. It seemed like Ron and Hermione just happened to show up right at the the immediate time. And one thing that even seemed a little weird later was that, you know, Ron mentioned that, you know, Mr. Granger had taken him and Hermione to a diner. And I'm trying to think, when did they have time to do this? Because they just left Harry and he just got from the train and now Ron and Hermione are already there. I just was – maybe I'm just a moron and couldn't figure out Melinda's very well thought out plot, but it just seemed – like i was having trouble figuring out when things were happening but it, there is a lot of information here and the chapter really leaves us with harry Ryan, and hermione at number 4 privet drive they're going to fakes you know, they're going to fake it with dudley and just put you know a, a spell on them that makes them cheerful and hope petunia never notices and the goal is where it was at the end of uh half blood prince on figuring out where to go from here with the horcruxes and we've been giving some constructive criticism so i just like to point out one thing i thought was fabulous about this chapter and and you guys were saying this earlier too i love the end of the chapter where where ron and harry are in bed and you can picture this these are guys who lived in the (laughs) dorm together why why are we laughing at me
0: it's just that pretty <laughs> Ron and Harry are in bed you can have all the slash makers out there going yeah.
3: <laughs> Melinda Leo where are the facts <laughs> I, I thought oh. I put like an R on the end of one of their names um, I'm like Melinda's not here okay of course we have Harry and we have Ron you know spooning in bed as they have so often over the course of the past <laughs> seven years
2: that's my favorite scene
3: Harry and Ron spooning
2: um, yeah. No, I don't think they spooned. I don't remember that. I would have remembered that scene.
3: Oh, the Vicodin. <laughs> the Vicodin's a beautiful thing, Jen. Um, so...
2: <laughs> no, what? but I do... I like the bedroom scene a lot, actually, with him crying. Like, I love that scene.
3: Does he cry during yeah. that scene? I don't remember him crying. Of course. When, when does he cry? In, in the first chapter?
2: He cries at the end, and Ron, like tells him it's okay Jenny's really missing you too and like he needed to hear that and it was such a I thought it was such a great thing for Ron to say considering that he has to defend Jenny because you know that's his sister and like Uh. he loves her but at the same time it just shows how much he loves Harry too and he considers Harry family enough that he would you know technically Harry should be like the bad guy the bad boyfriend that Ron is supposed to hate and beat up because he hurt his sister but he does it like he can, he sympathizes with Harry and it's so it's such a touching moment. I really loved that scene. That's such a great scene. Oh,
3: I think it's a great scene too. I just have a question. Wasn't it that Harry was just upset and I, I think he like punched his pillow or something cuz he just he couldn't you know, get down no, his feelings. He just- he
0: wipes the back of his hand with the back of his eyes with his hand. Wipes the back of his eyes with my, wipes the back of his wipes his ha- eyes with the back of
3: his <laughs> hand. Don't take one more time at that. No, I don't
2: want one more time at
3: that. (laughs) Oh, I I somehow missed that one line where he did that.
2: Are you kidding me? That's
3: awful. This fic is so much better than I thought it was.
2: Oh, yeah, he swipes his eyes, and Ron tells Harry that she still cares. And, oh, I just, it made me teary-eyed. I liked it. I mean, yeah. Yeah. What What was my exact phrasing? I'm, I'm looking. Oh,
0: I love Ron and Harry's awkward exchange at the very end of this chapter. I don't know why I didn't think it was, like, deeply touching, but I guess I missed that. <laughs> I just thought it was, like, nice and awkward,
2: so. I didn't think it was awkward, though. I thought it was very wrong.
0: Well, yeah, it's very, I mean, it was, like, it's awkward the way that, t- like, any conversation about emotions between two guys is going to be awkward. Like,
3: I don't know. Well, it's... It's me. It's Ron, because how often in fan fiction is Ron the guy who pummels the hell out of Harry for looking at his sister, and how many fan fictions is you know, Ron out buying the condoms? I mean, there, it, it's difficulty finding you know, a comfortable medium with Ron, because he's such a loud character that he either comes across as too much of an ass to Harry, or he comes off as not brotherly enough. So it's, it's an interesting tightrope to walk. And I like that he kind of plays both sides against the middle here. He 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 understands the situation Harry's in, and he's playing the broker between them. Even though Harry and Ginny aren't speaking, he knows that Ginny still cares, and he's bolstering Harry because Ginny can't be there to do it herself. But he also makes it clear to Harry that when this is over, when he defeats Voldemort, and when you know Harry and Ginny are back together, which is exactly what Harry needs to hear right there... If he ever mistreats yeah. Jenny, Ron will beat the ever-living crap out of him.
2: I love that.
0: You know, I'm I reading do a lot that. of I'm reading a lot of um Hermione and Severus Snape fanfiction
2: right now because. <laughs> <laughs> if
3: Jen ran Perfect Weekly, it'd be all Snape, <laughs> all Hermione all the time.
2: Oh, isn't that terrible? No, I like I like I like all fakes. Mm. Yeah. Well, anyway, I, I I had
0: read one that um Jen had recommended, kind of on a um. Like on a whim. (laughs) And um, anyway, I've been obsessed. But that's beside the point. I'm going to edit all that out. But um, I'm reading a lot of it out, reading reading a lot of it. And um, it's just nice to get back to the Ron that I know because so many times with like other ships and other genres, like they make Ron like. Either he's, like, promiscuous and really smooth with the ladies and is sleeping with everybody, and that's why he breaks up with Hermione, where he's, like, a real jerk and tells her that she's fat and that she's ugly and, like, all this stuff. And I'm like, no, <laughs> that's not my Ron. Like, Ron's an idiot, but he's not, like, a jerk. So that was nice to see. It was nice to come back to a Ron that's
2: the Ron that is my mental picture of Ron. Yeah. Yeah. Huh? What? Yeah, and, like, Harry sits down with Petunia, and he's so mature, and, like, I just want to strangle the Dursleys, and, um, you know, he's just, like, calm, and he's, like, really wanting to know, and I think there was even this scene here where Petunia starts crying, and he finds himself wanting to comfort her, and it sickens me, that he has yeah. that feeling. Yeah, you know,
0: it, she does. Um, I will say, I mean, well, I'm going to say a lot about Melinda, but I will say that she does um, lost little boy Harry very well. And that's another, um, another like, I have that note in Chapter 3 as well, a, a little bit in Chapter 2. But the the fact that she kind of understands, like, you know because abuse victims which is basically what she, she's arguing basically in this couple of chapters that Harry is the uh, victim of abuse which I'm not going dis- to debate um, I like that it. they have that um, they have that desire to because they think it's their fault you know they want to fix the relationship and um, so it's sickening but at the same time I think it's very realistic so
3: yeah Yeah, you can see that because no matter how much Petunia does, she's still a human being and Harry still wants to comfort her when she is vulnerable and upset. And he knows that if he pushes too hard, she'll instinctively pull away. He knows if he walks over and puts his hand on her shoulder, you know, she may run. But if he can reach her at this moment when she's her most vulnerable, if he could reach her, maybe, you know, she could, you know, open her eyes, and, oh my god, they've been such a fool, and blah, blah, blah. And it's one of those things where I think, for everything that Harry's been through, I think on some level he's still an optimist, and he can maybe... You know, get through the hurt, and he can maybe help, which is interesting because that's not really like you just said, she. That's not really Harry's character. Harry isn't the fixer. Harry's no. the guy who pretty much says, "I broke everything. I'm gonna go and you know, sulk Break in the corner." Some
0: stuff. Yeah, uh, I'm gonna go
3: trash Dumbledore's <laughs> office. I'll be back in a minute. But- <laughs> yeah,
0: exactly. Oh, not Harry. I mean, I, I I I see. Here's the thing, though, um, with this portion of the story that I love it, but I have a kind of an issue with it at the same time, because to me, um, you, can do, you can do abusing Harry very well, you know, and you can do um, uh, this kind of stuff can be done very well, and Melinda does well with her own interpretation of it. It's just that it's too, it seems like it's cartoon-like in points.
2: Like well, I think the Dursleys are cartoonish. Yeah, in so, so many ways. I was going to say that I can and I have the same problem
0: with the Dursleys. They're too much. I can't bring myself to feel any sort of real emotion about them because they're too I feel like I'm watching the Looney Tunes, you know? Like Right. It, it's it's like, so unbelievable. Bring, right, exactly. It's like me trying to um have deep feeling deep feelings of hatred for Wily e. Coyote. I just can't do it. You know, and <laughs> I, I don't know. I maybe I'm like I'm I'm starting to believe like now that I've done the podcast that I'm like not a human being. But I just can't <laughs> I, I can't like I Melinda and Jules are very passionate about their hatred for the Dirsees and I just I'm not <laughs> Well because they he's his you know, I think what it is, I think it's a fault in Joe's writing. I think that she glosses over what they did to him a little too much. It's like the yes. issue of Jenny being possessed by Voldemort, where she had an option to take the story in a really deep kind of interesting way, and she decided to tell an action adventure story, which is fine because that's what she wanted to tell, and more power to her. But it, it's one of those th- aspects of the story that you know can be made a certain way in fan fiction. But every time I'm like, I can't see it. <laughs>
3: so yeah, I mean, one of the great things about fan fiction and one of the great things about people who read between the lines is that they can see more of the story there than joe puts out you know front and center on the page and we talked about this you know a few episodes ago with jenny and the trauma that she went through uh you know in the chamber with tom riddle and you know how she would be psychologically scarred you know for years from that and that was pretty much glossed over in the canon. There's a few lines here or there, but this isn't Ginny's story. It's Harry's and Harry Ginny fans. Sometimes I think forget that myself included. And yeah. Yeah, I go to counseling twice a week. It's, it's, it's bad. We play bingo after. Um, <laughs> all right. Jules mentioned something on the forum, you know, a couple of weeks ago. One, everyone always asks what's up with Harry? Why isn't he ever, you know, inquisitive about his parents. Why doesn't he want to know everything about his parents? Why is it taking him until Deathly Hallows, and he still doesn't know what his mother did for a living? Why, you know, what what is wrong with this kid? He was raised in a house where he was told never ask questions, and that's something which has affected the character in the canon. He he does not ask questions. He does things strangely. He has you know a, a, a complex where he will not bring his friends into the fold without a fight, how much of that is because the kid has been an absolute loner since the day he turned eleven? I yeah. think that I think there is enough in the canon that you can pull it out and you can make a very factual assumption based on what Joe is telling you. And I think, you know I, I, I think you can have some success with that. So when you look at the Dursleys and when you look at the way that Harry is towards people. And when you look at how stunted he is, you know, as a person. And when you look at the way he treats people and how good he is to people, how, you know, at the beginning of half blood Prince, he will sit in the car with Luna and Neville and not in the cool kids car with Joe, because these are my friends, you know, that he's just a good guy b- b- because of the Dursleys. So I-, I don't know. I mean, we're not going to get into are the, Dursley's abusive, yes or no, I think they personally were very abusive to him, both physically and psychologically, but I think that they are they are very intense, but one of the things I think that Melinda does a good job at is she explains the Dursleys, which is what we need. We need to know why, why are these people so terrible, and there's a scene where, you know, Harry looks at Petunia and says, you really hate them. You really hated my mother. You really hated your sister. You really hated my father. You hated them. Why? Why did you hate them? What did they ever do? And her answer is that she didn't hate them. She hated what they became. She hated the magic. She hated the the decisions they chose. And stop and think about that. If you decide, I want to marry Steve, and you're the person's mother and you say, well, I don't, you know, hate my daughter, but I hate Steve and I hate the decision she's making. And I hate the book. You can't separate that. People are the decisions they make. And every path they take changes the person and they, and they grow from the experience. Lily was a witch and Lily loved James and Lily loved Harry and Lily would not have gone back to Petunia and her family and let the wizarding world duke it out. She would stand and fight. She could have probably taken Harry and gone back into the Mungle world and been safe, but there were some things that were worth it. And Petunia has never been able to understand that. But I think that after reading what Melinda, you know, came out with in terms of the Dursleys, I think I can understand them a little bit better. I think they are people who they cut a deal because they had something Dumbledore desperately needed, and they cut a deal, and they got screwed because Dumbledore died. And, you know, the bargain ended with Dumbledore, and, they're, and, and Petunia will never understand her sister.
0: I, I think it's pretty clear from the canon that she doesn't. I mean,. You know, the nice thing I will say about this fic is that it's there's so, and I was noticing this, there are so many
2: things that Melinda decides to use that you can go straight back to the canon on. Melinda does use so many things that you can go right back to canon, but there are some things also that she writes that are just hilarious. Like, I have laughed and laughed. Like, for example, Hermione's new infatuation, instead of um, The elves write, she's going to make the Dursleys like Harry by giving them treats and pastries. pastries. <laughs> okay, I think that's funny, but I also think that that's.
0: I have a hard time with Melinda's Hermione, and I think I'm going to talk about that when we get to chapter two. Okay. But I have a really hard time with Melinda's Hermione. I, I do like, I like her, it, but I don't like it. I don't know. I think it's because I'm used to like a man Hermione. And
3: yeah, do you ever notice that when you read the canon, and you're like, "What well, do you mean Harry's not in love with Ginny? Of course he's in love with Ginny." What's this rolling woman thinking?
0: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, you know what it is? I maybe call me crazy, but I think in Half Blood Prince, maybe uh, in *Order of the Phoenix* and, and Goblin of Fire*, well, uh, her Melinda's Hermione reminds me a lot of um, *Prisoner of Azkaban* and, and *Chamber of Secrets* and uh, and uh, it's the first book. I can never remember the name. Last for Stone. Sorcerer's Stone. Ryan um, <laughs> thinks that's... I'm surprised Ryan's not like right now. I actually but,
3: fell on my mute button I missed the last 20 oh, seconds. I, sorry. I
0: couldn't rem- remember the name of the first two book in the series again.
3: You can never um, remember the name of the first book in the series.
0: I know. How awful is that? Terrible. Um, but her Hermione reminds me a lot of the early part of the series the early canon Hermione where there's not a whole lot of depth to her. You know? There's not... I don't know. It it seems she Hermione tends to trivialize, seems to trivialize what Harry's going through, because she thinks that she could fix it with all these things. But then I remember, oh yeah, Hermione doesn't really know the extent of what Harry's been through, and blah 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 blah. So I go back and forth with Melinda's Hermione. Sometimes I like her, and sometimes I think that she could use a little bit more depth. Well,
3: I don't know. I think we're coming off after the end. Hermione, who's a very detailed character
2: and right. when
3: you think of ron and when you think of hermione they're not really deep characters no in <laughs> no, canon they're not they they're like what we kind of like in our characters they're very basic you know archetypes and the way they are fleshed out through the plot m- m- makes them endearing to us. We love the fact that Ron says, if you're going to kill Harry, you're going to kill us too. You know, he is he is the, de- the devoted friend, and Hermione is the girl who means well, but you know, is kind of socially awkward. But, you know, they're not these fleshed out, detailed characters. So, you know, of course you can Free all the house elves. You just have to make them all boots. If only I could make enough boots, I could solve the. I could solve all the world's problems. Of course, you know these people may seem awful, but if you buy them pastries, I'm sure they'll love you.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
3: What do you think, John? Or the
2: McDonald's takeout door handle, doggy door. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Where is that coming from, by the way? Like, what what burger joint did they pipe in? Like, sometimes <coughs> I feel like burgers. Hmm.
3: Yeah, it seems like the replicator from Star Trek a little bit. You just walk over to the doggy door. I'd like a cheeseburger, and the cheeseburger just pops through the door. I just, I just think that's wonderful. And you can imagine Harry's perspective. Where the hell was that thing, you know, 18 years ago? I couldn't use that.
0: Yeah, you know, it was closet. funny. I was laughing about it, but at the same time, I, I don't know, cause I, I have a hard, I have, a, you know, at, I hate to be... I always, like, I have a hard time with, but I really love this story, so the little things, like, really pop out at me.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: It's a strange juxt- juxtaposition of um Melinda trying to hit sure. us over the head with, like, how awful the Dursleys are with Hermione. Um, making the Dursleys not awful <laughs> is kind of weird. Like, They've starved him, and they've locked him in a cupboard, but here comes Hermione, and she can fix it with a pipe-in, a Sonic drive-in, you know? It just seems kind of strange. If I was going to pipe in a drive-in, by the way, to my place, it would be Sonic, because that's the best. Possibly Wreckers. Do they have to pay for it? Here's the other thing, though. Do they have to pay for the food? Like, are they stealing from somewhere? Are they conjuring it, or...
3: Alright, you're 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 coming dangerously close to Jen in the in the Dome of Death in the whales. I think you're dangerously close to overthinking that particular plot
2: point. Whales oh. have feelings too. <laughs> <laughs> it's,
0: it's just that Jen and I had this conversation last night and a lot of the things that she said are sticking
2: with me. <laughs> you are, I'm now glad because f- yeah, I don't I can remember them. <laughs>
3: <laughs> oh man, alright. Um... <laughs> Oh, my. Chad's going to be listening to this episode. What am I talking about? (laughs) Um, I don't know. I mean, I think that's kind of like the thing with Umbridge. Umbridge is the evil character who you can outthink and outfight if you band together. And the Dursleys are, I think, awful, terrible people. But... You know, if you use a little bit of magic, you can completely mess with them. Or, like in After the End, you can make their toothpaste you know come out a little too fast from 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 the tooth. I mean, there's little things you can do to really get around their uh, their evil ways. So, I actually I, I, I didn't mind that, and I really did. I, I, I thought Chapter One had some scenes, and it was definitely you know Melinda trying to reposition the characters. But I thought it was still a very successful chapter. I, I really did enjoy it.
0: Yeah, although for the record, the the drive-in thing doesn't happen until chapter two. So we've kind of like transitioned.
3: We're all over the place. We're all over the place and she's editing this one, so I'm sure everything will be super. Oh my god, don't do that. (laughs) Uh, We're going out of order tonight. Jan, you still with us? Yes. Okay. Uh, So moving on a little bit um, in the storyline, one scene I wanted to focus on for chapter two was the moment where Dudley sees Harry and Ron wrestling and thinks that Harry is isolated again and has no friends and he can kind of befriend Ron and Hermione and and get them onto his side. What do you think of Ron's speech to Dudley?
2: I'll let Jen go first. I don't remember his speech to Dudley. I loved his passionate speech to the Dursleys in general. Like when he started taking up for Harry. Well, that
3: was pretty much the same speech. That was he was he was focusing it to Dudley because Dudley was the one that made the statement that you really don't care about him and who would want to be around him and when
2: Dudley. Sits right, up for Harry. right. What do you think? I was like, right on, Ron, right on, dude. I accept that I really thought like she could really have gone somewhere. Like she kept touching the abuse and then never and then backing away. Like like she. Touched with the sex scene and backed away real quick. You know, <laughs> do you know what I mean? What I'm talking about? Like, yeah, I do. Like, okay, like Dudley comes in and he makes that. He says, "Oh, you got him, yeah." When he was little, he hated having his head in the headlock thing. You're doing it perfectly, and like immediately, Ron, let's go. And instead of like addressing that issue, they just like pretend it never happened. Like, oh, you know, another abuse, whatever. And they they let it go, and it really could have. I thought it could have been really deep. They could have really gone somewhere. They, Melinda dear, I love you. You could have gone somewhere with that, but you chose not to, which is great. Like I still loved it. I just kept thinking it was just like a touch here, a touch here, but I loved it when Ron stands up and takes up for Harry. Yeah. I love it. Uh, Yeah. I I kind of felt the same way. I know, um, Sometimes, like,
0: there are issues that I don't feel comfortable touching. Um, Like, I don't ever deal with the abuse that the Dursleys, that Harry abused the Dursleys, because I have no personal experience with that, and I'm about to be an educator, and I'm taking classes on that, and it makes me cry, and I can't, like, I get sick to my stomach, and so I can't, like, write about abuse. I just, I can't do it. So maybe there's a personal reason why she chose not to go that route. I think that that is a question I would like answered. Melinda.
3: I don't think if- that this is a point where she's um, avoiding I'm it. I'm
0: not saying that she needs to like, deep in, like, delve into angst in the second chapter. I'm just curious. You no, know, I think
3: is- she's sidestepping it at this point because Harry yeah. hasn't told, like like Phil said, and we'll get to Phil's comments in a second, Harry hasn't really told Hermione or Ron what's happened. He hasn't really gotten in there and said, you know, they kept me in the cupboard and, you know, th- maybe they beat me all the time or, or whatever happened. He hasn't really let them know. All they know is that the Dursleys were mean to him and that the Dursleys you know, sent him crappy Christmas get- gifts and that he really doesn't like it there and they put bars in his windows. But I don't really think Harry has given Ron and Hermione the information that we the reader have. They don't know how terrible these people are to him. And I think that's something that, you know, does come up, you know, a little bit later in the chapter. Yeah, Yeah, and I think that Melinda's is that famously, and one thing I want to mention tonight is that I think that the the ire that Hermione feels when learning about the Dursleys, to me, reminds me of a moment in a previous fic of Melinda's when she describes Lily Potter's thoughts on what Voldemort did to her son. And I think that she uses very similar language when she describes both of these characters, Hermione dealing with Petunia and Vernon and Lily dealing with Voldemort. I think that, you know, she uses almost the same language. So I suspect that she would see, you know, while they're on different levels of, 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 of of evilness and, 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 you know, just, you know, how much pain they put this poor boy through. I think that I wouldn't be surprised if Melinda sees, like, all of them kind of lumped in together as just awful, awful people.
0: Yeah. The thing about the um, the Voldemort... I, I, we, I keep making the same points on this podcast. You're going to have to kick me off. But the thing about um, Voldemort is that he's so far removed from Harry. He's not a very personal villain until about Goblet of Fire, you know? Mm-hmm. So, like... Chapters in and like oh, finally we'll get to start to know Voldemort. Great, um, but the Dursleys are a real presence. You know that that particular evil is immediately close. So, I mean, it's, it's all kind of lumped together in that all these people are not really conspiring to destroy Harry's life, but they're doing a pretty good darn, pretty darn good job of it. So, um, yeah, I I love Ron's speech, but I particularly love. Um, when, a little bit later on the chapter, when Harry says something like, maybe you can redecorate my own room, and he pats the cupboard under the stairs, and Hermione and Ron lose their minds. Well, (laughs) that's
3: the moment, I was was kind of holding back a little bit, but that was the moment where Hermione Turns around and this is the Hermione that's been bringing them sweets and she's been trying to cook and she's thought that there's they're, they're human beings. There has to be a way to reach human beings and like we've been saying before, there must be a reason why they don't like Harry. You know, maybe it was something you know that got confused at one point. There's got to be some way to deal with this. She's like the ultimate. She's the ultimate fixer. She has to fix things and. You know, when she finds out that they trapped Harry, who is her brother, who she's loved for seven years, who she is prepared to die for, you know, going off on this, you know, suicidal attempt to to, to rid the world of, of evil. You know, when she finds out that they locked the kid in a cupboard for 11 years, she turns around and she could channel Gin- Ginny and Lily Potter in one and she pulls her wand and the moment where she says how dare you he was a boy when, I, I know that's not exactly what she said but when she just the how dare you it, it, it is absolutely channeling a moment from Curse of the Dams and, and I it, it was vintage Melinda you know just the ire of just a character who has lost it you know just Ultimate protectiveness towards Harry, and she is always the mom in the group, and she's the one who tells them not to run too fast or or to jump up and down too hard, and 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 to, and to do their homework, and you know don't fly in the broom, you don't have your license yet, and you know you know don't eat that, there's too much fiber in it. That's you know Hermione, and she's prepared to curse the Dursleys into the Stone Age because she, she is just so protective of Harry. I don't know. I think that even Hermione realizes in this in this chapter you can't fix everything. But my God, Ron's speech, you know, to the Dursleys that, and I thought this was brilliant. And one of the things that I always enjoy most about fan fiction i've read fan that are 40 chapters long that if you ask me to tell you three things that happened in them you know i couldn't remember you know the, the how harry defeats voldemort and i didn't really have any elastic impressions of the plot or the way that you know the, the, the battle ended or whatever but i can probably tell you like a really funny line that neville had like i like little things that i think add to my enjoyment of um the canon are things that I tend to bring with me no matter what I'm, what I'm reading. And one thing, and and I'm loving the seventh Horcrux so far, but one thing I will always remember in this chapter is the perspective it adds to Ron when he gets to say that I always was embarrassed of my home and I'm a poor kid. And you know that Ron is always embarrassed. He was humiliated that he couldn't, you know, you know, give Harry money and gobble the fire. That's just who Ron is. And when he, you, you know, realizes that when Harry went to the burrow, he wasn't embarrassed, you know, to set foot into the place and he didn't, you know, look down on it at all. It's that moment when Ron realizes that he has had more than somebody. And that he's had everything he's ever needed, and it's just that moment when you can just see Ron growing before your eyes. And I was just, I, I, you know, I was so proud of the character there. You know, for for a guy who's usually a very basic, you know, best friend kind of, kind of stereotypical character, I thought that was just a really great moment for Ron. And of course, I just have to say, I love the fact that you know Hermione misses and completely flips Harry upside down.
2: Oh, I love it. <laughs> you know
0: what I like. <laughs>
3: It's actually-
0: I like how Ron gives this really like impassioned speech and ends it with "So stick that in your pipe and smoke it." <laughs> 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 I about had a fit, Belinda. I was laughing so hard, I was crying. My sister's like, "Do we need to perform CPR?" <laughs> I'm like, no one fine, Yeah. It was good. It was bad news, but it was good news all at the same time. So,
3: now were you rooting for Hermione to actually, you know, curse the Dursleys, or did you figure Melinda would show some self control there?
0: Um, I figured I had faith in Melinda. I think if Hermione had held off and and it, there's a fine line between funny, dramatic, appropriate moment and. Uh, ridiculous, self-serving. I love the Dursleys, so I'm going to make life miserable for them. I, you know, I I trust Melinda as an author, and I had confidence that she would make the right decision. Literally, and she did.
3: I thought so. Hermione would like curse the blender and make it explode all over Petunia, and she would have to listen to this impassioned, you know, speech from Hermione while covered in you know some type of you know frothy I can, drink.
0: I can see you know Hermione doing something that would be like a time bomb,
3: <laughs> to <laughs> where
0: you know. They come back years later and they have to deal with it, but Hermione has a little bit more subtlety than the
3: boys do. You know what I would have loved if Hermione like opened the door? Okay, this is what I want to see. Vernon's getting in his car the next morning to go to work, okay? And Hermione, just as they're about to leave in you know, perfect drive for the last time, walks over and kicks the car really hard and the airbag deploys in Vernon's face. <laughs> and he's so big, he's stuck in the car. That is something I
2: could see. Uh, <laughs> that okay. would be funny. I could see okay. something
3: like that.
0: Who <laughs> wants to write an outtake to the seventh floor cracks?
3: I'm sure Jules will do it. She's got nothing else going on in the world. Um, yeah.
0: She's only got four kids. Plenty of time.
3: To anyone who has no idea who we're talking about half the time, potterficforum.com, Join up. We're like family. We have Thanksgiving together. It's nice. Um,
2: <laughs>
3: we do.
0: It's It's... You come and you join us and we, we suck you into our fold and <laughs> take over your life, but it's a good thing.
3: We're like a, we're like a cult. I wonder if we could get federal funding.
2: <laughs> I bet we could. We're not a cult. Jen's, Cults are bad.
3: Jen's our leader.
2: Jen is our leader. Okay, we can be a I cult again.
3: <laughs> Jen is our deputy headmistress. We listen to what Jen says.
2: And I did my signature I yesterday. Really, I
3: really like your signature. Really? Yeah, it was very uh, regal looking.
2: Yeah, oh. I was very fast. You have very pretty handwriting, even on Mike
0: it did. It's
2: nice. Oh, well, thank you. You should see me on a clear day. Okay. Um, There are a couple of plot points in here that I, like,
0: little details that Melinda put in that I enjoyed because that's the kind of thing as a writer that I love to do. So, um, the bronze addiction to muggle soda, I thought that was very funny. Um, I'm wondering if somebody will write me an outtake, um, Melinda, where he's nicking it from Dursley Deadly and he might get caught. Like, I just think that would be funny. And, um, I'm, oh gosh, I just said a British isn't allowed. And I just vehemently, de- okay, anyway. No, um, I- the other thing that I loved was the idea of the shower. When you step in at the burrow, you just tell it, like, to turn on and how hot you want it. It's like, that's kind of futuristic for a new world style that the wizards seem to be living in. Maybe that was just me, but...
3: They have a talking like... mirror. It did seem kind of like the Jetsons.
0: Yes, exactly.
3: Yeah. But they do have talking mirrors.
0: Do-do-do-do. Jane, his wife.
3: My... Oh, God. But here's <laughs> that's
0: one That's
2: like the chat room. Yeah, exactly.
3: Our sign-in music on the Perfect Weekly chat room. For those of you not understanding, Viking girl over there. Love you, Jen. Yeah. Jen?
2: I love you, too. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I was
3: just making sure you were alive, but thanks. Um, One thing I just thought was really funny is we were talking about, um, you know, the end of After the End, and the scene where Harry and Ginny are going for their rendezvous, you know, out by the water. And there's the moment I made a joke about Harry standing in the shower, just looking down, just saying, don't let me down. I'm just (laughs) picturing, like, 12-year-old Harry standing in the shower, freezing his butt off at the Weasleys. And he's just looking around, and he's like, this is awkward. (laughs) A year and a half ago, I never would have thought this would happen to me. (laughs) That's really funny. I just thought that was just a great moment. It was Jetsonish, but that, but that's fine. I don't
0: mind. Um, can we talk a little bit? Um, there's just uh, one thing about Dudley. I know we spent a lot of time on him, the last um, chapter. But um, when it's made, when it's brought to Dudley's attention that he might have been a wizard in chapter two, um, there, there's a line there that I thought was very intuitive of Melinda, where he says, uh, "I could have been a really powerful." wizard like it, there's so much about dudley's relationship with harry is about power that i thought that it just that was a very i just i am so in love with that line and that characterization of dudley that i could probably just kiss melinda right now
3: well that's <laughs> like that, uh, the finest moments that we're finding in this fix so far are the ones where melinda doesn't say something but she hints at it I think we're picking up our own personal preferences as to what makes great fanfiction here. You know, especially after the After the End series. Y- you know, we like the fact that we don't know why the spell failed, but we know that Dumbledore died, so it must have had something to do with that. And yeah, look at, you know, last story. Look at Draco at the end. Will he become the next Dark Lord or will he not? We don't know. What would have happened? if. Look at it this way. We're criticizing Dumbledore's decision to take away... Dudley's magic. What if he hadn't? What if Dudley didn't turn out to be Crab or Goyle? What if Dudley had turned out to be more like Malfoy?
0: Yeah. He, I mean, he could have been, because he has those, um, he had those buddies at school. I can't remember their names. But, like, in, It sort of Stone, they were kind of prevalent, yeah. that would t- chase, um, Harry around, which is kind of, uh, reminiscent of Draco and, uh, and Voldemort. So, I, 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 I think we should have celebrity death match with Draco and Dudley, and just lock them in a room and let them kill each other. <laughs> like, oh, Draco's too pretty. <laughs> Tom Felton is too pretty. I Draco's hot. No, he's not. <laughs> <laughs> Ryan's like, I'm gonna have to bring out the boxing gloves Oh, man. or the vodka. <laughs> yes. Yes, just a little orange juice. Mm, tequila.
2: No, nope, we're, <laughs> nope, we're going
3: to do, we're gonna, when <laughs> I talk to Jen tomorrow, I'm just going to tell her that she missed the recording.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Why? Because you're not
3: going to remember any of this, kiddo.
2: Yes, I am. You sure? Yes.
3: Yeah. You sure?
2: <laughs> <laughs> yes. Okay. Uh,
3: yeah, but seriously, think about that for a second. Think of <laughs> Dudley versus Draco. They are very similar in their outlooks. They hate things they don't understand. And they are cowards. And they believe that having a bunch of goons around you makes you powerful. And they enjoy taking care of people who can't defend themselves. And what would have happened if you had Dudley with, you know, the ability to perform magic? What would have happened if Dudley went to Hogwarts? I mean, I think that would be a fascinating fanfic. Right.
2: Right.
0: I'm sure somebody's done it. Somewhere. Somewhere. A, yeah, exactly. Actually, I think I've read a story like that, and I wasn't very impressed by it. So if somebody can find one that they think is really good and send a link to
3: me, I'd appreciate it. Oh, that'd be but, great. I'd like to read that, too. Yeah. So, but but you're right. You know, Dudley just has that moment where he realizes that he could have been powerful, and he's interested in it. And that's how... Ron pretty much turns Dudley away from Petunia, saying, okay, you may want to do what your mom thinks, What well, if I could offer you real power. Ron's almost acting like, you know, the, the fake dealer. He's trying to, you know, pull Dudley apart from his mother, and I think it would have succeeded. And, you know, I have no idea if we're going to come back to that later in the story or not, but I think that would be an interesting avenue to pursue if you know Melinda finds time for it. But if she doesn't, I think it was it was kind of a road not traveled, kind of laid out there for everybody. Yeah. So we have Harry leave Number Four Private Drive after Petunia gives him the address to Godric's Hollow, and we all wonder what's going to happen in Deathly Hallows. I think you know after having read the first you know two chapters, I'm curious how much of a role the Duraceous will play in the final installment of the series. I think we're going to have to find out. I I think Dudley and Petunia, there's something more there that we're going to find out. I don't know. I
2: think Petunia. I think Petunia is the wizard. Which? Which? Which.
3: Joe said she wasn't, but the way she said it, as I recall, was very cryptic.
0: Well, she said it was. She's always stick about everything. Like the woman cannot give straight answers. Can
3: you imagine Joe ordering takeout? Okay, she calls the Chinese restaurant. What can I get you? Well, well, I like the number five. Does that mean you want it? It was good the last time I had it.
2: Yeah, exactly.
3: (laughs) Would you like some? Well, what do you think? Like, like, like? Can you imagine? Why
2: wouldn't I? Yes. No. Mr. Yes. Calling. Calling. She should have been a politician. Oh Next, she's gonna seriously. Her.
3: Do you know what the definition?
0: Oh, she's
2: so cute.
3: Is? I love Joe. Yeah. We're not stalking you or anything, but and if you're one of our 115 listeners, that'd be fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> Could you imagine Joe Rowling listening to a fan fiction podcast? Like, how do the pros do it? <laughs> That's <laughs> funny. Oh
0: man. She's but, probably like that lady cheap person as a never
3: mind. would we love you cheap. But, I,
0: know. I love you I love you guys too very much
3: <laughs> Okay we're becoming one big happy Weasley family here so we're gonna Aww. Um,
2: I love the Weasleys
3: Oh uh, Jen, that's the fight I swear Um. So We don't know what's gonna happen In Deathly Hallows but I do sense that there is More humanity in Petunia and we're all Kind of like Harry I think or at least I am You know I, I'm sure Renner And you know even Melinda probably want to light her on fire, but you know, I think there's something in Petunia. I think there is a rationale for her behavior. I think there's a reason she's more important, you know, to Harry's continued protection. There's something we don't know there. She's not a cartoon. Vernon's a cartoon. Petunia is not. There's something there that we don't know. So the fact that she leaves that information for Harry, he dressed to Godric's hollow when she doesn't have to, this is him leaving forever, she's not going to stop him, she's not going to say goodbye. Harry thinks he sees her looking out the window and he doesn't know if it's because she wants to see him off or if she wants to make sure he's gone. And I don't think we're supposed to know either. But we get the sense that based on the fact that she gave him that, maybe she gave him that to make sure he never came back asking for it. We don't know. But I think that Melinda hints that there may be something there, and I'm cool with that. I actually like that. I think that's a, a an interesting way to, to say goodbye to Petunia. If we are saying goodbye for Anya, she'll be back. Yeah. Well, yeah. Don't confirm anything. I haven't gone there yet.
0: I didn't say anything. I, well, yeah. That's true. <laughs> I'm not confirming or. or I read this SNCC years ago. I
3: don't remember. It was a year and a half. All right, we forgot to get to Phil's stuff. Phil, what do you think?
1: Um this chapter had a couple things in it that I really enjoyed. Uh, I kind of call it the chapter of loyalty and love, uh, because both of those things uh, play major roles uh, in the story at this point. Um, but starting from the beginning, and this actually harkens a little bit back to the previous chapter, I really, really enjoyed uh, Hermione's repeated attempts to make nice with the Dursleys. And it reminds me of some people that I know who tend to do that almost to a fault, where they will continue going back to somebody who treats them horribly, uh, just thinking to themselves, well, if I just keep treating them nice, and I just keep treating them like civil human beings, then eventually they'll have to figure out that, that, that I'm a nice person and that I should be treated as such. But uh, Hermione learns very quickly that that is not going to be the case. And it reminds me a lot of something that I told my son at one point as he's getting a little bit older and as he's discovering that there are people in the world who are going to not treat him very well sometimes, that you, what I've always told my son is you always give somebody a chance to be nice. And if they are nice, then that's great. But if they aren't, then you have to respond accordingly. And, uh, I think that's what Hermione is trying to, to learn or what she eventually learns in this chapter is that there are some people, unfortunately, that you're just never going to get through to no matter how nicely you treat them or how, or what you do for them. They're going to, to continue treating you poorly, no matter what. And so I really like that. And then throughout the course of the chapter, you really kind of see the loyalty and the love that both Ron and Hermione have for Harry. And it's evidenced in the tussle that they get into with Dudley out in the garden, where Ron stands up and very fiercely starts defending Harry and talking about what a great guy Harry is, and you don't even know him, and how dare you treat him this way, and, and you've had this, this this fantastic person in your home and in your lives for all these years, and you've done nothing to show that you appreciated or or, or you know, want to reward it in any way with any kind of good feelings, and so I really liked seeing that because I had always wondered what kind of reaction Ron and Hermione would have, or what what kinds of separate reactions they would have when and if they ever met the Dursleys. And a lot of it rang true uh, in this story with what I had envisioned. We have Hermione who's trying as hard as she can to make nice. Uh, Ron, who is fiercely loyal to his best friend and both of them coming to this environment that was so much worse than they had imagined uh, and seeing how they reacted to it was was actually really uh, very gratifying to see in a lot of ways. And then, of course, the culminating scene, in my mind, is the scene at the end where they're talking about how they're getting ready to leave. And um, Harry makes the comment about how they can redecorate his old room and slaps the door of the cupboard, uh, causing Ron and Hermione to uh, discover what Harry's life had been for his first 11 years, basically, or at least the, the last 10 of his first 11 years, I guess I should say. And it never had really occurred to me until reading the story that, yeah, that is something that Harry has never shared with Ron or Hermione, or for that matter, I don't. I don't know if he's openly shared it with anybody. It's pretty obvious that Dumbledore knew about it, um, but I don't think in canon that uh, he has actually shared that story with anybody. And seeing Ron and Hermione's reactions to it, actually, I will say this is this was one part in the story that I had kind of hoped to even see a little bit more of. Um, the, the The entire scene played out pretty quickly. Uh, with Hermione finally getting to that point of saying, you know, how dare you? How could you possibly do this? This is just terrible, and it was, for her, it was really the straw that broke the camel's back. And once Ron found out about it, he was obviously equally as upset. Um, But I will say that after um, Vernon slammed the door to the kitchen shut, and uh, Harry was inadvertently hanging upside down in the hallway... um, Hermione and Ron both seem to recover pretty quickly from it. And I I think from a realistic standpoint, I think something like that that would upset Hermione to that point, to the point where she was truly ready to curse somebody, um, I don't know that she would recover quite so quickly from it. She did make a comment about trying to maintain her dignity or something like that. But I think ultimately it would have been nice to have seen a little more of that reaction come out prior to them Moving uh, back upstairs and finishing getting everything ready for the next day. But other than that, I, I really enjoyed this chapter, and I thought it was it was a, a, a nice look into how Ron and Hermione would react to being in the Dursleys' house and the the level of loyalty that they really truly do have for their best friend
3: thanks phil that was actually shorter than the one before but i i I still like the 42 minute voicemails i'm just saying they're 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 enjoyable i can go get a snack
1: Uh, i don't know about that and
3: (laughs) as she and i move on to chapter three four and five jen will be leaving us for the evening jen thank you so much you are a trooper i know you won't remember this in the morning but we've really enjoyed having you on get well soon
0: yeah, it's just not Potterfick Weekly without you, Jen.
3: It's not
2: get better. Well, I tried, I tried, I tried. So I will um, I'll talk to you later, and um, I'm I think I'm gonna go to sleep.
3: I think you should. I think that's best. Yeah.
2: All yeah. right. Well. Good night. Good night.
3: Good night, hon. Bye.
2: Good night. Bye. Hey,
3: bye. Did you just call me babe? No, I called Jen, babe. Okay, I thought Jen called me, babe. I thought she thought I was her husband and we had a whole new set of problems. Okay. (laughs) No. All right.
0: Jen and I call each other babe and sweetie and hun, because yeah. we're women from the South. <laughs> All
3: right, good. I thought it was me, and I thought it was the, like, yeah, phone call from James's lawyer. Okay. Yeah. No. All right. No. So, moving on to Chapter 3, one of the moments I really enjoy in this chapter, because it's so understated, is I love the moment where they get to the borough, and Ron reminds Harry that he's now homeless. <laughs> and it's completely true. Yeah. And I'm sure Harry thought about it, you know, on some subconscious level. But you know the minute Harry goes upstairs, 15 Weasley hands smack Ron collectively in the back of the head, and Ron <laughs> has no idea why.
0: I know. Ron is so clueless. I love it. But um, I did want to give uh, Melinda a personal compliment, if I could. I just love, 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 love um, Harry going up to the burrow. Um and he, just that whole internal dialogue that he has with himself about the bro and his feelings for it. I was melting into puddles of goo. He wants I to run.
3: love he it. He wants to run, and it's commonplace for Ron and Jimmy to, to see it, and, and him, it's like coming home. And he wants to just get there and find Mrs. Weasley and just envelop himself in it. I just thought it was... It's like what Ron said in the last chapter. You know, Ron never understood how much the Burrow made him who he was, and he never thought of the Burrow as a place that people would want to be around. But after having seen the Dursleys, I think he has a better idea. I think Harry has a better idea. The, the Burrow's home, and always will be.
0: Yeah, i i I'm I'm very glad you kind of come circle with that and. Again, um, just that um, I want to go I do I do um, I thought it was kind of interesting how Hermione Hermione's such a little mother and I think that those people like the nice thing about Melinda's Hermione is that she is such a little mother and she kinda of latches on to that idea. But um, Hermione waking him up in the morning and she's laid his clothes out for him, you know.
3: I love how <laughs> Harry even says thanks, Mom.
0: Oh, yeah, exactly.
3: Oh my goodness. There was a fic I read, I can't remember what fic it was, which is terrible, but um, Ron and Hermione were head boy and head girl and they were kind of like the parents of Gryffindor House and all the first years used to call
0: them mom and dad. That that makes sense th- to me. Actually, there's a thick one that you might like if you like that one. Uh-huh. Um, that it's over at Sugar Quill, and I can't think of it for the life of me. But I'll I'll go find it for you. Uh-huh. It's um, Harry somehow like when he defeats Voldemort, he gets turned into a baby and um, gets to relive his whole life as Ron and Hermione's kid. It's
3: really good. <laughs> like, That'd be weird with like Ron changing her diapers though.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's a little awkward, like, but she hits on the awkwardness of it, but it's like, if you like that idea of, like...
3: Now, does he, he grow up with, with his memories? Does he remember who he is?
0: Um, yes. He remembers who he was to start with.
3: It, so it kind of, like,
0: hits him. Like, he's living a double life. Like, he is awake during the day and can function like a normal 11-year-old, but at night he's living through Harry Potter the first year. It's it's kind of interesting to see how Harry Potter deals with things when he has parents.
3: Oh, that's interesting.
0: Yeah,
3: you yeah, sent me that one. I read a, a snippet once. Like I, I, think I don't know if it was a one shot or if I just said you know flip through the end of a fic. But it was essentially that Harry died, but he came back as Ginny's baby, and Ginny would be his mother. And I found that very strange.
2: That's
0: a weird.
3: <laughs> that like that was odd. That 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 made me sad.
0: That would make me a little bit sick. Like, I'm a little bit... <laughs> like, I don't think that that would... We
3: haven't had Rinna on in, in three or four episodes. Rinna's been moving, and she's living in the middle of a, of a valley right now, surrounded by crabgrass and um, mountains, which obstruct cell phone signals. But if Rinna were here, she would say it makes the baby Jesus cry very, very, very much.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly.
3: Love you, Rinna.
0: It's just, <laughs> just awkward.
3: just I don't know. But I, I do definitely like that component of Hermione here, how she's very motherly, and and you can tell she's probably one of the 15 people smacking her arm in the back of the head for reminding Harry he's homeless, like, you know, in case he forgot his parents were dead and he had no one who loved him, you know, outside of the park. Yeah. Okay, I have to tell you, I listened to these chapters um, on the train going to New York City a couple of weeks ago, and... My computer is usually very good at pronunciations. Like, usually things will phonetically come out right. Fleur's brother continuously... Was it Fleur's brother or cousin? Cousin.
0: I think think
3: it's cousin. Cousin. The name was continually pronounced Gene Luck.
0: Oh, my goodness. And it was really...
3: It it was killing me. It reminded me of a Star Trek episode, which I'll say this now because somewhere somehow Phil is taking a shot. But... (laughs) um, like with the new baby in the house. Yeah, but the baby in the house, taking a shot with one hand and changing the baby's diaper in the other. There was a scene where you know the captain's Jean Luc Picard, and someone knocked on the door delivering flowers, and he's like, "Is there a Jean Luc Picard here?" It just, <laughs> it just reminds me of that. So, I, if I sound like I hate Jean Luc, it's because I, I heard his name pronounced Jean luc about eighteen hundred times over the weekend while driving on the highway. So, I'm
0: okay. Um there there's a couple of things here, um I hmm, just interesting. Um, that uh, Hermione and Harry's conversation where like Hermione's kind of playing like the sisterly role. I just love that. I love any time that they give Hermione a chance to, you know, deal with Harry on a personal level. Mm-hmm. I I, I soak that up. I love that relationship that they have—that sister brother relationship. Yeah. So, you know, when she he's talking about the possibility of him or you know, you know, him dying, and you know, Hermione freaks out because she's Hermione. But Je- Harry is saying, you know, you know, I've had to deal with this. <laughs> For a while, uh, it's time that somebody else has to try and deal with it too. Like that's the subtext yeah. there. And uh, yay! I don't think C- Canon Harry will do it. It's a nice thought for Melinda Harry. <laughs> I, you know, yeah. It's nice that he has that determination and that confidence, which we were all kind of worried about. In um, especially after Order of the Phoenix. He definitely. Prince yeah. Harry is a lot easier to swallow.
3: Yeah Half-Blood, yeah, Half-Blood Prince Harry was was pretty confident, but he was kind of a bonehead. And yeah. I like the fact that so many of the characters, you know, over the course of Chapter 3 and Chapter 4, really tell Harry what we've been thinking for the past, you know, a few months as we've been dealing with the fallout from Half-Blood Prince, that he is so much stronger with Ginny than without her. And, you know, Lily was so much stronger you know with James without him and she wouldn't have been anywhere else and it's it's even you know the the example of Tonks and how much she lost by not being with Remus and these are things that are you know from Joe from her pen to the to the page it's very clear You know what Harry needs to do, but he doesn't see it because that's not the way his brain works. And maybe it doesn't work that way because of the Dursleys, or maybe it doesn't work that way because he's a little thick sometimes. I don't know.
0: (laughs) I think it probably has a lot to do with the Dursleys. You know, in that he—I don't think he knows what it's like to have a real like relationship where people give and take. I mean, yeah, he has friendships with Ron and Hermione, but how? Like, how intimate are those friendships? Like, he doesn't ever sit down and talk about his feelings, you know? Yeah. Like, with Hermione. I don't think that Harry understands what true intimacy is or what the value of true intimacy is. And
3: um, Can you picture Hermione sitting in the common room doing her homework, and Harry walks up, sits down, Indian-style, looks at her and says, I think I have commitment issues. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like scenes you'll never see in canon. It's like, what?
0: <laughs> I've been on the internet a lot lately. <laughs> Oh, and man. apparently I messed up. <laughs>
3: <laughs> oh my goodness. There's this website called Potterfic Weekly, and they think I'm an idiot. <laughs> but their episodes are so long, I can't possibly sit around to find out why. I do, I just, to respond to one thing you said, I think that the proper role of Hermione is as Harry's sister. And I do applaud any fic that really stresses that relationship because I think there's a, there's a very... Uh, direct canon basis for that, yeah, and I think it's something you know they're they're both you know only children, and it's a place they're comfortable. You know, and Melinda has, um, I know in, in previous fics, I keep going back to Curse of the damn because I love it so much. You know, Melinda sees them almost as, you know, mother and son. You know, that's cute, but they're brother and sister. I mean, some sisters yeah. are, 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 you know, motherly towards, you know, their their little brothers. And I really see Hermione as like the big sister.
0: Yeah, I think Hermione and Harry's relationship is a lot like my relationship with my little brother. I think, you know, because sometimes... Half the sometimes- free world
3: thinks you should date them. No, God, that's gross.
0: Oh, my best friend is dating my brother. Oh snap!
3: <laughs> How's that going?
0: Um, you know it's fine. I after the hours of therapy, I'm okay with it. Um,
3: <laughs> you walked in on them kissing, didn't you?
0: Um, not just kissing.
3: Oh okay.
0: making out, hip grinding noises. Oh God. See, wa- this is why. You're making me relive stuff.
3: Oh, God. We're going to have an explicit rating on this episode Um, Yeah, we have the wedding. And right. when you think of Deathly Hallows, we know there will be a wedding. What will happen? I think every fanfic author, you know, who has touched this will have Harry and Ginny walking down the aisle together. They will have one of the Weasleys set it up so that they will spend time around each other to try and, you know... Uh, in some way settle, you know, their, you know, their feelings for each other. And especially after the cover art was released in, you know, in in Great Britain for the Deathly Hallows released, you know, based on the fact that Ginny wasn't on there, I'm suspecting that this will be a journey that maybe the trio will make together. So maybe Ginny will not have a substantial role in, in, in Deathly Hallows. I hope she does, but I could see a way that she wouldn't. So maybe the wedding is where we're going to get a lot of the, Drama from Harry and um,
0: Harry and Jenny Harry and Jenny I you know I don't really we're not really podcasting about Canon but I think that I, I you know I kind of want Jenny there but I kind of don't because this has never been the journey of Harry Hermione Ron and Jenny this has always been the journey yeah. of on Hermione, and Harry, and there's plenty, if Harry lives, there's plenty of time for Harry and Jenny to work their issues out. I'm fully confident that, you know, after he's taking care of Voldemort, then they can go deal with their issues, but it's hard enough being 17 and trying to kill him. Uh, I mean, like, I think some of these fanfic authors are, are forgetting, like, he's 17, and he's got to kill a dark wizard, and, you know... Do his homework
3: at the same time. Do his
0: homework. I mean, it's just... And now you want him to have a uh, meaningful, marriage destined, fulfilling, romantic relationship. Like, come on, please. Like, first of all, he's too damaged for
3: that. And Do you second, know what they- the divorce rate in America is without Dark Lords? <laughs> exactly. It's like, my God, but... um it- yeah, I mean, and that's the and obviously, and I, I don't want to compare this to canon too much here because we're not here to talk about canon. You know, obviously, up until Deathly Hallows, we're here to talk about what authors, you know, pull from canon. And what, this is Melinda's impression of what will happen or her best guess as to what will happen. There will be some effort to reunite Harry and Ginny. I thought it was very intriguing that in Melinda's story, it's not coming so much from Molly. Or Ginny herself, it's coming from Fleur and it's coming from Gabrielle. Yeah, and, I, and obviously, I think there was some tongue in cheek on behalf of Melinda with uh, Gabrielle and Harry because I have not read them, but apparently there is some of a following between these two characters. There's a lot. Yes,
0: of- actually, I think if you like pick a random character from it, like a Siri, like, any character in the book, I can probably find you a fic where Harry sleeps with them. So, I mean, there's a contingent of people that believe Gabrielle and um, Harry should be together. Also, Harry and Luna is very pop- fairly popular.
3: Well, you Harry and Luna, but Gabrielle's, like, seven, right? Yeah.
0: yeah. She's young. Well, she was young in God of Fire. We don't know how old she is.
3: Well, she'd probably be three years older than that, right? Yeah. So she's one would
0: hope so as three years have passed.
3: This is true. So (laughs) I'm not going to say I fully understand the Harry Gabrielle moments, but I, 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 I I did enjoy the fact that, you know, that was in there. I thought that was a little tongue in cheek. Um, Yeah. It's interesting because we've just read the fic that, you know, has Fleur, you know, drastically different from canon. So it's when you go back and you look at a canon-esque Fleur, you know, a Fleur very much like the character we saw in Half-Blood Prince where she's annoying as all hell and she's not a sympathetic character. But she also has those moments where she does something that you appreciate. She loves Bill and she's going to marry him regardless of what he looks like is, damn it, I'm cute enough for the both of us. Yeah, you know, she's an annoying as a person, but she knows that Harry and Jenny need some pushing, and even Gabrielle helps out. I love the moment where Harry and Jenny reconcile, and there's there's sadness in Gabrielle's smile, but she's still smiling. She's happy for them, but damn, she wish, wishes it was you know her instead. And
0: yeah, yeah. Uh, the first time that we saw Jenny. She was a little girl with a big crush on Harry, yeah. and Gabrielle now is a little girl with a big crush on Harry. Um, but they both kind of have that selfless characteristic. Uh, you know, I I really believe that the reason that Canon Jenny didn't protest the breakup was because she saw the reasoning behind it. Like, I I I think that she's just as self-sacrificing as Harry is. Um, you know. I I don't know. I I think that even in this story, you know, Gabrielle, you know, moves out of the way so that Jenny can be with Harry, even if there's really no reason for her to be in the way because there was no chance. Yeah. You know what I'm saying.
3: I know what you're saying. Yeah, I think Kanan Jenny is is an extraordinarily strong character, especially after she helps Harry away from Dumbledore's body, and you don't know what she's thinking at the end. Is she going to let Harry walk away because she knows she's just going to follow him wherever he goes, or is she accepting it because she knows it's the right thing to do, or she knows there's no changing his mind? I don't think we know... Enough about canon Jenny to make that assumption, but I think after reading fan fiction, we all feel as though we do, and we feel as though we've read. I I mean, here's the thing: we've read so many stories, we feel like we've known her forever, but she's different every time. So it's kind of hard to nail down exactly what's Jenny and what's not.
0: Canon Jenny is so strange to read because I've been reading um, Harry Jenny fan fiction since Mm -hmm. Prisoner of Azkaban's release. So, like. Every every book she morphs, <laughs> and now we just don't have. I get so frustrated because we don't have enough information about Jenny. Yeah. Like we know that she'll stand up to Harry and she'll tell him that he's got his head up his ass, and you know the good thing that we really one from Jenny she does, but we don't know like what her favorite color is or you know like I don't know.
3: Hunter Green. I have no idea.
0: I probably is green <laughs> for Harry's eyes, as she seems to be obsessed with them. But, um, yeah.
3: I leave it's- to Jimmy and my will my eyes.
0: <laughs> she can look at them all she wants. <laughs> <laughs> Provided my mother well, hasn't blown me to Slytherins. Okay.
3: Bummer. Um, so we have the wedding scene, and we have, well, first we have the build up to the wedding. And we've got, you know, the Delacours coming, and we have Harry slowly becoming an alcoholic. <laughs> and I have to say, Melinda, I did not expect you know you to, to go into Harry's alcohol abuse so early in the story. And I would have appreciated you know missing moments where he attends his first meeting. <laughs> oh my goodness, <sighs> Harry's a what laugh.
0: is he? I can't I can't find what you're talking. Like it's vaguely familiar to me.
3: Okay, so you have Harry, you know, at the sag party, and you have Harry, you know, the next morning he's drunk off his butt. And here's an interesting thing: there were s- some. Statements made by Harry over these chapters that they didn't rub me the wrong way, and I think you know it's very fair. Something Max um, said in our forums that you know coming off of after the end, it's weird to, to 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 read someone else writing Harry, and we're kind of used to the way he just was, and that's our fault. I mean, we're reading fix you know one after the other after the other, and we're like, hey, these these people write differently. Well, no crap. Um, yeah. No Sherlock. Exactly, and y- you know. Yes, it's different, Harry, but now at least we can say, well, how do you know? Maybe he was drunk when he said that. Yeah. <laughs> and I was really thinking that because I was thinking, well, you know, H- Harry would never say this. Then I'm thinking, but he's drunk. Maybe he would.
2: Maybe this- he would, yes.
3: I'm like, Melinda's brilliant. This, <laughs> this is wonderful. And it's, and it's, so. I- I'm not sure what to say, but I think I like it. I,
0: you know what, I like it because I think that anytime you um, move the inhibitions of a character, <laughs> I, as a writer, I kind of enjoy it. Um, it's it's a fun playground to, to work with. I, um, there, there's so much like I don't know, like this these next few chapters. I don't have a lot to critique because. I just enjoy them. <laughs> like I don't really read them like to get very in depth on, and I, I tried to, and it didn't work. Um, <laughs> but I do think the focus is so much on Harry and Jenny right now. It's driving me slightly insane because I, I, I don't, I'm just like surely he's thinking about surely he's worried. Like he's gonna go off and he's going to he's gonna try to attempt a task that Dumbledore failed. And, like, that's got to be a massive, like, hello, this is a stupid idea, you know, because if Dumbledore can't do it, who can, you know? Why isn't he worried? Why isn't he thinking more about it? He's just so obsessed with Jenny. I just want to shake him.
3: Well, yeah, (laughs) too, and you also have them delay the trip because Ron got so jealous that, you know, Victor Crumb shot Hermione. (laughs) Yeah. And you're like uh, okay, yeah, forget the horcruxes. You know, we may have to wait a few weeks. Yeah. Um,
0: While we deal with our personal issues. It's well, just saving the world. It can
3: wait. Yeah, so I mean, I It's part two of what I was saying before. This is, I think, Melinda's trying to realign the story a little bit and as quickly as possible get okay, Harry and Ginny back together. And that was one of the concerns I had. It seemed like the dialogue was too forced. It seemed like they were going down a checklist saying, okay, we're back, we're back, we're back, we're back. Yeah. You know, the story. But on the other hand, he was trashed, so I don't know that. <laughs> yeah. And this is That's... brilliant on Melinda's part. I mean she should have all the characters drunk all the time. All the
0: time. Then they could say anything. We they could get away with anything and we wouldn't have a, we would be able to say anything because all well, they're drunk.
3: I mean <laughs> Jen just sounded completely drunk, but but maybe she was fine.
0: <clears throat> no, I'm pretty sure that Jen was not fine. <laughs> like I love Jen, but I'm pretty sure it was time for a I think it was Jen. I don't really, I mean, like, the wedding and stuff, like, it's like, uh, blah. Like, I don't know. Like, yes, uh, they get married. It, see, the thing is, like, a lot of the early chapter, it feels like we're going down a checklist Have you noticed? Know, like, yeah. hey, we have to go to the Dursleys, check. Like, we have to go to the borough, check. You have to have a wedding, check. Like, it's, I'm waiting, I'm waiting, because I've read this story before, I'm waiting to get to the fast-paced, the, you know, the stuff that I've the reason why I love to read Melinda's story and the first two or three chapters are just,
3: it's hard. <laughs> well, and uh, to be honest, I mean, I, I'm trying to pull from it what I think Melinda enjoys the most. And I think what Melinda enjoys the most in these chapters is that dynamic between Harry and Ginny and the fact that Ginny is a very vengeful person if she's wrong. She is the woman scorned. You know, and you know, Jenny is the woman scorned and I think that's a really fun way to write the character. And you forget almost after Deathly Hallows, you think that Harry's just walking away from Jenny, you know, to save her, but he also there can't even be, you know, a suggestion that they are together. You know, they have to do whatever they can to protect Ginny. So she's like, Fine, I'll go date, you know. Jean Luc, Jean Luc, or whatever the hell
0: his name
3: is, <laughs> And Jean Lucifer. And uh, now, will Joe go that way? Will we have. I don't know. But I think, you know, from Melinda's perspective, I think it's a really good way of showing exactly what a strong character Ginny is. And she's not a pushover. And she, even though she may hate this kid, she's going to stick with him because maybe it's enough to get you know, Harry to, you know, get off his butt and and, and and do the right thing, or maybe it, you know, is something that could honestly help. I don't think Ginny thinks that, though. And actually, correct me if I'm wrong, because I was uh, I'm a little unclear on this. Reading through everything, Ginny was in on it with Fleur and Gabrielle, wasn't she? Is that true?
2: Um,
0: I, yeah, I think so, yeah. Hermione was in on it. Is that the question? Was
3: Hermione in on it, or was Ginny in on it as well?
0: I, I, you know, I don't remember. Oh my god! Uh, I want to say yes. That's my instinct.
3: Yeah, I mean, and even if she, I mean, there was. I, I'm not sure if I, if I like the fact that Ginny was in on it. I like the fact that Ginny was, you know, reacting, you know, very spontaneously when you know she grabbed. Um, when she grabbed Knucklehead by the arm and dragged him out onto the dance floor and so forth, I like the fact that she was playing him to get to Harry. I'm not sure I would like the fact that, you know, the entire thing was a scam. I just think I would have much preferred it to have Jimmy not, um, being an actor there. Um, although I certainly think that you know, the angst that Harry feels and, you know, just how much he wants to be with her in the conversation with Remus and Tonks about regrets and how, you know, you are stronger with this person with than without them and would you like to, you know, know that you left Ginny behind to fall apart as a person or would you want to change who she is to the point where, you know, you may not love her anymore and... Harry's reaction seemed very quick. He seemed like, yeah. "Oh my God, you're right." And to be yeah. honest, I don't know if that was the liquor talking, or I don't know if that was Melinda, you know, just saying, "Okay, enough. I want to get to the good stuff," or not. Yep. I mean, here's the thing: how do you stretch that out? You have Harry saying, "No, that's that's."
0: You you say, "No, I'm not." Do I mean like you would have him say? Well, that may be the case, but I'm doing it for the right reasons, and yada yada. I mean, like, there's a. This chapter, this particular portion could have been 500 or 600 words longer, and it would have been fine. But, um, if you're going to have a question, a conversation about regrets with anybody in the Harry Potter universe, Remus Lupin is a great choice. I, you know, how wonderful is it that she picks this character to. to you know, and Ramis and Togs, that couple. you don't really know a lot about them, but they have that really great scene in Half Blood Prince that has nothing leaded up to it. It's just kind of awkward, but like the scene is great. Yeah, that scene. Um, y- you know, I think that maybe she wanted to come back and, and have a little closure with that. But if you're gonna have that conversation with anybody, it has to be Ramis and Togs.
3: She writes yes, him very much like um, Uncle Remus too. We, we were yes. talking in previous episodes about how do you write Remus Lupin? Do you write him as, as the serious replacement? How do you write them? She writes them almost like uh, Z, yeah, very much like you know the like you know the 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 wise old man in the corner, you know, just right. with you know with, with with the glasses and the pipe and the smoking jacket from Mary Poppins. Like I just that was the image I got in my head at least.
0: Yeah, it's the glorified Ramus Lupin. I, I, I mean, I. She's not telling Ramus the story like he's not. I don't believe he's hugely involved in the next few chapters, but I mean, half of the prince Ramus and of the Phoenix Ramus continually disappointed me. So when a fanfic writer comes back and makes him into the Ramus that I want him to be, then I'm. I'm pretty okay with it. <laughs> like I'm not gonna whine too much that he's out of character. So.
3: And with that too, with you know the moments of you know, where I feel like it was rushed, you know we have the moment with Harry and Jenny and uh, Jenny's boobs. <laughs> and Thank I was, well, I was joking with you know with Jenny a couple of weeks ago about you know you know did you guys use the word boobs in your stories? And, and apparently that was Mulder who did. Um, <laughs> I I, I thought it was hilarious I thought it was funny Um, I love the, 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 just the dynamic where you look at you know, how some authors write Harry is the very quiet, very reserved guy who won't say boo to anybody because he's so inverted. And I have Harry talking about Jenny's boobs. And I love the point where she's like, Harry, my eyes are up here. And he's like, you pushed them up. You wanted me to look. Now you're yelling at me. What do you <laughs> want from me? Which is absolutely like a Harry and Ron, like, we don't understand women line. And I love yeah. the fact that, you know, a push-up RAR is now a plot device in a Harry Potter book. But, but I don't know. I just... It seems like in so many stories you have the scene where you have, you know, Ginny or you have Hermione, you know, absolutely gorgeous. And yeah. usually it's, you know, they're naturally just, you know, perfect in every way. And I know Gemma's making fun of this moment. He's like, you know, it's like Hermione on the beach. And she's like, yes. my hair gets frizzy and she looks beautiful. And it, I'm, I'm glad that, you know, Ginny randomly didn't spread up overnight. And they actually did reference the fact that she's wearing a push-up bra.
0: Well, yeah, it's just, it's nice to see that magic can't fix everything, yeah. so, and I think more, too, is not necessarily that, you know, Jenny is gorgeous, per se, although she does get a lot of attention, and, and it can, a lot of people ask her out, but, um, you know, we see the story from Harry's perspective, and she's extremely attractive to Harry, and he probably would have thought her boobs be great, like, <laughs> without the push-up bra, so...
3: Could you actually picture this in a J.K. Rowling novel? She's like in Ginny, you know, removing her push-up rod, you know, at the end of the day. you like, lower the cup, like, what?
0: The X-rated version of Harry Potter.
3: Oh, God.
0: Where, you know, Snape is sleeping with McGonagall and...
3: Oh, don't, don't, don't. <laughs> Our membership plummets to six. <laughs> the, SM, the SM shippers, and that just sounds even worse. Oh, my um, goodness. I apologize. <laughs> I uh, apologize. So I don't know, I, I, I think it was very rushed the the reunite the reuniting of Harry and Ginny finally. Yeah. When they start you know, when they start dancing and Harry forgets how to breathe you know, almost and you know, he couldn't dance with, you know, Gabrielle because she seemed to keep forcing him next to Ginny, you know, surprise, surprise. And, you know, now, you know, they're together and, you know, the scene where, you know, he's about to kiss her in front of hundreds of people after he just went through the whole thing that no one could know about them. It just seemed like he... Harry, being the densest kid on the planet, got it too fast. Yes. Now, that said, I don't necessarily have a problem with that because... You know, Melinda has a story to write here, and she did not want to write a story about Harry and Ginny apart, so she needed to get them back together. Now, could she have taken a little bit more time and have done that, you know, done it a little bit better? I'm sure she could have. That may not have been what was on her agenda. She may not have wanted to spend six chapters, you know, before the the Horcrux hunt began. I don't know, and I'm not there yet, so I can't judge it well, so maybe you guys can yourself, or you can help me out here, Ginny. I just thought that, you know, if if the if the liquor had been left out, I would have had real problems with it, but now I can kinda just say, ah, he was drunk. Yeah. He never would have talked about the bra if he was sober.
0: Yeah, he no, he wouldn't have he wouldn't have mentioned it. He wouldn't have said anything about the school probes or the you know, no. He wouldn't have said anything. But I think I think that the real um, I guess the real issue here is I mean, Harry's not dumb by any stretch of the imagination. I mean, you don't survive having a personal vendetta against you for seven years, or for all of your life—you know, eighteen years, seventeen years, um, whatever—without being a smart person. It's just that he's dense when it comes to women, and I think that he gets—he works the plan out too fast, and he's—he's a little bit awkward when he says something about the but it's still kind of cute and it's still kind of charming, and I don't know. I just I really want a scene where Harry messes up really bad, <laughs> like I don't know. oh, we get I plenty of those
3: be I think we get uh, plenty of those, or Harry just completely screws the whole thing up.
0: yeah, well, I mean maybe later in the spring, but I
3: don't, don't spoil it. I'm not there yet. did you like the scene? I, I know you did you like the scene where um Harry hands the wine glasses to John luck and they and they run out onto the dance floor?
2: Yeah, yeah,
0: I thought that was funny.
3: <laughs> and he looks on with a confused look in his face. That was John in on it.
0: Um, I think so because he leans down to whisper something to Jenny and she smiles. Yeah, I think he is. John
3: luc is Okay. So I hear the Death Eaters attack.
0: Yes, they do.
3: Now, so, now. The one thing I will say about the Death Eater battle is I actually and I know you wanted to comment G, a little bit on um, on the Molly Beasley of um, you know that Melinda Leo creates. I actually really liked The battle scene, I think it was cryptic. I think it was simplistic and we kind of didn't get a lot of information. You know, the people were running in every direction as the wards came under attack and some were running, you know, right towards the Death Eaters and the Dementors and some were running, you know, in the right direction but had no way of getting out. And you had a lot of chaos. You had Molly trying to handle it. And I love you know Harry's reaction. You know, she planned this whole wedding and look what happened. Like, Molly's really thinking about the wedding right now. And yeah, y- yeah.
0: You're she's got- probably worried about all of her children.
3: Yeah, could you imagine, like, hosting a wedding and halfway through the wedding, you know, the wedding comes under attack by, like, randomly, like, Turkish rebels or something?
0: Like, Yeah, I, I, don't, know. I don't know.
3: Usually you're called the cops, they lead a the counterattack, I don't know. But I-, I-, I found it to be, you know, very interesting. I liked that we saw, well, for, for one thing, we saw Ginny's uh, uh, Patronus, which was a tiger. Which I thought was relatively fitting, and is that mowed down a defender that dared to attack her mother. You know um, what do you think of Molly here? Uh,
0: well, this is not the part where I, I want to really talk about Molly. But the nice thing about this scene in Molly is, you know, I I just I have a rough time sometimes. I, she doesn't strike me as a smart person in this in this scene, and I really think Melinda is selling Mrs. Beasley short. I think that she would have been able to cope with the disaster a little bit better. I mean, she always, she handles things, and then she yells at people about it later. Like, that's how Mrs. Beasley functions. I don't really see her breaking down. Like, I, I don't remember, I don't recall her having a big nasty breakdown when Arthur got bit by the snake, do you?
3: I I don't and yeah I could see her not waiting to take orders from Harry and I could see her wanting to act right away I, I I can see her doing that yeah um
0: I don't know I just think that maybe I I like how everybody listens to Harry like he's the acknowledged leader now um which is kind of interesting because he's not technically a member of the order but. I don't know. I just I would have liked to see maybe um, Mrs. Weasley be a little bit more effective in the battle because it seemed to me like she wasn't.
3: She left. Very right. well, it seemed like she would left right away to help evacuate people, so she really wasn't concentrated on the fighting. Right. Um, and she's been distraught that day. You know, she had you know Percy come back. You know, and that he- always you know has the potential not to end well, even as much as Molly sticks up for him and. Yeah, so she, you know, clears out pretty quickly. No words from Ron and Hermione. And Harry, you know, and Ginny begin to fight back. Right, we get to the point where Bill is injured. And it looks like they're going to have to abandon the burrow. And and they can't hold them off for much longer. And Harry learns that the wards are strengthened by the love people show for it.
2: Yeah. And
3: Harry is able to essentially climb closer to the death eater encampment and to use his love for the burrow to help reinforce the wards and keep the death eaters out and of course he loves the burrow so much that you know i think it's kind of like that scene in christmas vacation where clark griswold turns the you know the, the christmas decorations on him. yeah and it lights up you know the entire city and they switch to nuclear power and it, it was yeah. like one of those so he really really digs the burrow is apparently what we learned from this chapter which we of course, already yeah.
0: Well, also, I think maybe possibly that this, and I don't remember how this story goes, but um, it, it's funny how she kind of tries to, she does bring a- aspects of the canon back. You know, Dumbledore mentioned several times that lo- times that love is a very powerful emotion and it can fuel very powerful magic, and um, so I think maybe. Uh, I don't know, but maybe we should store that this happened in our minds. Um, because I think it might have potential to to be relevant later on.
3: I hope you're so, not giving me hints.
0: I'm not. I don't remember how it goes.
3: <laughs> I don't remember what happens next, but that would be I'm wonderful sorry. if that worked. Um, the, I'm one, sorry. the one the the one, one thing I did think, though, was I thought that the, the dialogue was a little clunky with Bill describing the, the spell worked.
0: It's a little bit like Hermione in the books a lot of times. Like, she has to explain everything so her dialogue can get kind of clunky. Yeah, they're kind of cabbage heads. Yeah, exactly. Like, they're just there to – he's just there to give Harry that information.
3: Yeah, like, although, that's par- the- Yeah, although I, I will say, you know, as much as I thought that language is clunky, I love the fact that after it's all over, you know, Harry, they try and get him up, bring him back to the Burrow. He's like, here's good. I can't move.
2: Yeah, <laughs> I, thought
3: were, I thought there were little moments there where he was just exhausted, and, tr- and he felt big muscular arms pick him up, and it was Charlie, and he just let himself go in Charlie's arms. You know, not to be confused with Harry you know, spooning with Ron back in Chapter One. Um, exactly, exactly. I, I, I thought that was a great moment too, and you know, you have Harry defending the Burrow, and we've had it drilled in us since the story began that Harry is in love with the Burrow. Burrow. Was the first home he really you know ever had? You know that that wasn't Hogwarts and wasn't Perfect Drive. It was his. It, it was the place that adopted him, not because of where it is or what it is, but because of the people in it. And the borough adopted him. The borough is his home, and he defended it. And if you could defend things with the love that you feel for them, how amazing would that be? And Harry got to do that, and he got to defend the borough. And we learn from that as they evacuate to Grimald Place that throughout the story up to this point something is happening at Grimmauld Place and Harry is being kept out of the loop and it's his house and he wants to know who is being hidden at Grimmauld Place and it is Draco, Malfoy, and Narcissa and juxtapose that see I did that right Oh, look at that! I still got it and <laughs> we're gonna like listen to the footage and I left a syllable out um but when you look at you know what's been happening here, you have you know, Ginny holding Harry and they're kissing and Ron's getting grossed out. And, you know, Hermione got shot by Victor crumb because what happened, you see is Victor was hugging Hermione and Ron came in the room and got jealous. And, and Victor tried to shoot Ron and, and (laughs) and somehow missed and turned around and like, you know, shot the ceiling and it fell on Hermione or whatever happened. And uh, I love the fact that, you know, the, the, hopefully we didn't need those horcruxes by Thursday.
0: Yeah, yeah.
3: Like twenty five people die on Wednesday waiting for them to finally leave and look for the horror cruxes. But
0: they they really need to get a move on, I'm sorry. Like it's like, uh it's time to go now.
3: She pops in, do people realize it's chapter four and we still don't know where the where the things are? But Yeah. yeah.
0: Come on, pick up space, let's go.
3: So you have the moment with, you know, with, with everyone together on the couch and you know, Harry's exhausted, Bill's exhausted, Flora still wants to have sex, Bill's gonna try. And <laughs> it's kinda like Bill in the shower. Come on, come on.
0: Don't what? let me down, don't let me down. <laughs> he goes to sleep, gets a potion.
3: Oh God. <laughs> Phil's not here, but he is here, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah, exactly, exactly.
3: So I mean I thought I, I thought, th- I thought-
0: meaning of the pepper up potion
3: right there
0: hey I have to channel him he's not here somebody's gotta do it
3: we have a very empty house tonight the only other person we had you know had to leave because she's you know a drug addict for the week
0: yeah I you know but this seems a little bit more lively than the last podcast we did together I don't know why
3: (laughs) it does seem more lively
0: I think maybe we're like awake possibly
3: maybe a little bit I, I should probably start wrapping this up a little bit um you know the burrow is defended. Harry and Ginny are back together, and they're at Grimal Place. And Draco and Narcissa are essentially being given you know use of the of the place as the safe house. Yeah. Now my question was I didn't remember where Narcissa came into the death of Sirius from canon.
0: Um, I don't. Okay, let me think. I know I don't think she was there actually at the ministry of magic i don't think she had anything to do
3: with well, it well they were implying or i should say melinda was implying that she was somehow involved in 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 the ruse to to trick Sirius to come to somehow with creature something with creature maybe
0: yeah yeah i see i'm now you're questioning my canon knowledge and i can't can't draw what i need to draw out of my brain
3: if you're listening to this, you already know the answer to it. And we'll check back after we get done recording and we'll figure that out. But that was yeah. one thing I, I couldn't immediately, you know what it is? I read so much fan fiction. I couldn't immediately place what uh, Narcissa, right. Narcissa did for the cause. But look at Draco. Draco didn't kill Dumbledore and he could have. He could have succeeded. He could have, you know, saved his own life, his mother's life. He could have done well by living. And Draco didn't. Draco you know, he chickened out essentially, and he's wanted. And if Voldemort wins, it's over. So he needs Dumbledore to win. And so there's Narcissa. And, you know, of course, Dumbledore is dead right now, so that doesn't help him too much. But you have, you know, the good side, and you have those who took over for him. And if he allies himself with those people, then maybe he can cut the deal. And yeah. you see Draco in that position where all he wants to do is cut the deal and hope for the best and hope he can live. And he's doing it at Harry's house. Yeah. And,
0: that really chaps Harry's ass. And I that's I I feel for him, you know, like but at the same time, you know, I wish that the dialogue at the very end where he says that little ferret better stay out of my way if I so much as see him or hear him make one snide remark, he'll never see the hex coming and no one better stop me this time. Like, I just think that the He'll never see the hex coming. That's where it should have stopped. Because, and no one better stop me this time. That sounds like my like four year old's talking to me. <laughs> like, yeah. you know, I'm gonna have a cookie and you can't stop me. <laughs> Let me take the cookie jar. Oh, now he's the bad one? <laughs> like, I don't know. Knock on wood. Yeah, it's kind of it's hard because she's trying to mature Harry, but she uh, sometimes he doesn't he doesn't do it <laughs> like he's not. I don't know. He kind of swings between Order of the Phoenix Harry and Half-Blood Prince Harry.
3: Yeah. But Sometimes he won't listen. Nope. Sometimes he won't. Now, I do enjoy the fact that Harry demanded the information not because he's older, not because the last time you lied to me it didn't work out too well. He demands the information because it's my house. You want to keep using it?
0: Uh, well, I mean, amen, right? I mean, Sirius gave him the house. He's got a right to know what's going down it I that's it's a good point, you know, like they have to start respecting Harry like they they make him into this big hero, but they don't give him any respect, basically, so how is he supposed to cope he's he's gotta start somewhere
3: M- Molly Weasley scares the crap out of Eye movie. <laughs> That was good. Great little moment. That's excited. What do you yeah. do with Percy? Well, here's the thing. Now we're back to the Percy, you know, pre-after-the-end mindset that we were, you know, avoiding for a few weeks here. You know, this is the Percy that, you know, he couldn't believe the fact that, you know, that, that the ministry, you know, was wrong. He, he, you know, Percy couldn't believe the fact that Death Eaters dared attack the party.
0: Yeah. I don't... That, the arrogance of those people.
3: <laughs> you know what? It's... Like, Yeah, it's post... It's the end of Order of the Phoenix Percy. You know what I mean? This is the Percy that, you know, realized publicly that he was wrong but didn't want to admit it. You know what you think of um, Harry and Rufus Scrimgeour? I (laughs) loved his speech. I just think it seems too...
0: Uh, contrived
3: maybe? no not contrived at all I think it seemed very um, adult for him I wasn't sure if Harry was there yet but if he was I'm all for it I think that Rufus Grimshaw started off half Led Prince almost as um, you know the perfect minister and over the course of the fic you see him as just a really Great guy. Is he good? Is he bad? I think you could make an argument either way. You know, aside from Stan Chum I think you could argue that you know he's he's a tougher guy than Fudge was. And he, he, he,
2: he I agree think with him.
3: But you good. like him, but
0: I think he's he's doing the best that he can. He's just a. It's just bad time to be a minister of magic. <laughs> like yeah, no matter what you do, you're gonna. But he's a politician, and th- you just can't. Trust a politician any further than you can throw them.
3: You know, I was thinking that the, the the speech seemed too polished, but now that I think of what you know we've actually um, heard out of Harry, especially in Half Blood Prince, with with you know just the everything he says in praise of Dumbledore. I don't know. I think I'm gonna reverse that. Actually, I think.
0: I- that- I think it's appropriate for Harry. I think that we are, in half Prince, we really get to see Harry start to take steps to become the leader of the Order of the Phoenix. Yeah. Really assume that role, that adult role. And um, I think it's appropriate. I think it's good.
3: Yeah, and know what it is, too, and and, uh, this is just a phenomenon I I find I continually... um, you know, kind of pick it up and do it. When you read fanfic a lot, as soon as you get back into canon, you kind of lock yourself in with it because you have to somehow remember everything that happened and you have to really channel the canon. I think a lot of people sometimes look at the last round of canon and lock the characters into those moments. Harry yeah. was very forward in Half Blood Prince; he could be tremendously forward in the Seventh Horcrux, which comes right after it. So yeah. I think that I think that's that's understandable, and I and and, and I do after having thought about that I, I i am um gonna reverse that i, I it's one of those moments when you, when you as the is the reader are like yeah go get them but I, I i i do i do appreciate that
0: yeah yeah i like it
3: <laughs> we like many things
0: we do like many things in this chapter in this story finally start moving it's you know yeah
3: en-
0: uh, enough away from canon that it's more comfortable like it's not so much that we're checking things off the list now.
3: And she, okay. And seriously, let's look at this in five chapters. She got Harry and Jenny back together. She sent Harry to Godric's hall by himself. He, she dealt with, you know, Ron and, and Hermione, uh, you know, in, and, and their relationship, she dealt with the Dursleys and, you know, she dealt with the Bill and Fleur wedding. She dealt with the death eaters in these five chapters. She's brought everything in and moved the chess pieces around. You know, Joe Rowling left the chessboard looking one way and, and, Melinda may be bound by those pieces, but she's not bound by what to do with the pieces. And I think she needed a few chapters to kind of work her own fic in from where she was forced to start from. So you know what? I'm looking forward to six through 10 and I can't wait.
0: It's going to be fun.
3: I'm so excited. I'm li- Oh, can I just tell you, I'm listening to um six through um 10, you know, in my car tomorrow and I'm listening to them on the train and I'm listening to them on the train back. It's going to be like 20 hours of fan fiction. I'm so excited. Is jean Luke <laughs> in them?
0: You know, I don't think he shows up again. Okay, good. <laughs>
3: oh my god, I couldn't take it. There was one chapter I read in one fic once where Harry went to St. Jonathan's Church, and it kept pronouncing it St. Jonathan. And it, oh, I really, goodness. I wanted, to, I wanted to just crash the car and open a van. It just was all take. <laughs> uh, before we take off tonight, though, Chief, do we have um, any uh, email responses tonight for these chapters? We'll see how good we did.
0: Um, yes, we do
3: Let's see how well I did Let's compare, I know Free Winky um, Sent us in something, let's see how Free Winky Falls with us or against us
0: Oh, I'm pretty sure she's gonna fall With us, maybe
3: Better Just kidding, Free Winky
0: We love you, Free Winky Winky
3: Winky is from India
0: She is, I'm wondering though It's like, she speaks really good She types really good English Speaks really good English
3: she types really good English.
0: She made. She is maybe. Okay, so she only goes up to chapter, <laughs> and um, she thinks it's a d- really good explanation of why does- Dudley is so pampered and Matunia doesn't want to make him upset. Um, she wants to know if this is what "Remember My Last" means, and how did Vernon not visit for seventeen years? How oblivious can someone be? Although I do remember this discussion happening in some HP forums about what did Dudley. Dudley really felt when there were Dementors around him. I also remember a piece of news that Book 7 is going to explain that. Is it true? She noticed that the Dursleys seem to be the complete opposite of the Malfoys mentioned by Hermione in a further chapter. In fact, I think it is very unnatural of the Dursleys not to be fascinated by Harry's powers. Maybe all that curiosity is masked by Petunia's hatred and jealousy towards Lily. If things were different, maybe they would have accepted the fact that Harry is magical. But then lots of things would have been different, and this point could easily stretch to form an AU fix, so let's not talk about it.
3: (laughs) Too late. Yeah, I don't think the Dursleys ever were after power. I think that you know, the fact that Dudley thought he could get it was kind of like a, just a momentary inspiration for him. Yeah.
0: <laughs> she says, Hermione can distract Ron from food and Quidditch. That's the depth of love that Ron has for Hermione. Wow. Very profound and, profound and scalable. <laughs> <sighs> oh, goodness. Uh,
3: five points for excellent use of the word scalable. Well, how is this Free Winky in?
0: Um, oh, my goodness. I don't know off the top of my head. I think, I think she's a... Not-
3: She's Hufflepuff. She's, Hufflepuff.
0: she's Hufflepuff? Yeah. She's not a
3: Gryffindor. She's a Hufflepuff. She's a Hufflepuff and I'm a Hufflepuff. Five points to me.
0: <laughs> oh, goodness. Okay. Um, the quote chemistry between Ron and Harry is just wonderful. Oh, my goodness. Oh, yeah. She's She's all for them spinning, too. Ron knows exactly what Harry is feeling, and he doesn't need any kind of leg or oculumency for that. I can't say those words. He has his unwavering loyalty, which is more powerful than any magical powers. Let me just jump back to a similar point I made in a previous chapter about the trio. The friendship here is very balanced. Hermione is a balance between the darkness in Harry and the youthful, youthful spirit in Ron. Ron is a balance between Harry and Hermione when it comes to things too serious. Harry, in all senses, provides a balance between Ron and Hermione, heritage wise and attitude wise. Ron is pure blood, Harry's half blood, Hermione's Muggle born. Ron's exuberant, Harry- Hermione's level headed, etc.
3: Yeah, I mean, you could definitely take a look at all the the the, the characters in the trio and say that these two complement this one very well, or this one separates those two from each other. I mean, it, it, it's almost like a perfect you know pyramid.
0: Yeah, yeah, they they balance out each other very well, which is why I think their relationship works so well. I agree. Okay. Um, is Harry really into the muggle life as the fanfic authors deem him to be why the doubt occurs to me is that he spends most of his time at Hogwarts meanwhile the rest of the muggle world is advancing in technology not like that the Dursleys introduce him to what has happened in the world while he's gone Uh, again Harry's life is busy and eventful enough to even bother catching up with the latest technology then how does Harry manage to update himself with the muggle life Hermione manages to do that with the help of parents but as far as I know Hermione is the only one who can help Harry in this
3: you know, if Harry plays on, you know, Dudley's video game system and then comes back the next year and there's a new one, he can probably figure out how to turn it on. Yeah. And I, I think that's a fanfic thing. I think half the fanfiction authors have the Dursley's the going out for the day and Harry playing with all of Dudley's stuff. And, uh, but.
0: um, I think he does. And, uh, see, I think, I mean, you can't, I mean, a lot happens in a year, but it's not like you wouldn't be able to function. You know what, what I'm true. saying? Yeah, like. I'm sure he's fine. <laughs> he's a pretty smart guy. He doesn't. He doesn't need Hermione around all the time. Oh no. She likes the moment in chapter three where Harry, um, where Hermione tries to convince Harry to get back with Jenny, and ha ha, she agreed with me. All right. And um, really, Who didn't? Maybe I should give her points for agreeing with me. Okay. Um, Go
3: forth. I'm in her house. All right. For those all of you who don't know what we mean on the perfect Weekly forums, we have. Uh, the win the house cup contest, which is up in six weeks, and um, Ravenclaw is beating my own house of Hufflepuff, so I need all the points I can get.
0: <laughs> Five points to Free Winky for agreeing with me. Okay. Excellent. Um, in chapter four, she oh she's referencing Um uh, quote. She says, uh, "The old mistress nobility is a new version of the stupid nobility complex." I love it. Um, She also says, I didn't expect Gabrielle to do such a mature act, getting Ginny and Harry together and stepping aside at the age of 11. I don't think either of the trio would have done anything like that.
3: I don't think they would have needed to because I think they belong together in the end. I don't think it was ever meant with Gabrielle. But her sad smile doesn't make you feel for her because she really is giving up the guy she loves or the guy she really likes.
0: Yeah, I'm not really sure you can fall in love with somebody at 11. (laughs) Like, I'm the same."
3: Yeah, you can't. That's true. Yeah.
0: Um, although, somebody- in
3: the, although in the past story we did have, um, what was her name? No, that was Gabrielle. She did fall in love with um, Adam in the last story we covered. So.
0: Yeah, yeah. You know, they—it's true they could fall um, We're not—we're not talking about after that anymore. Okay.
3: I'm just saying it's uh, possible to do it.
0: Okay. Uh, okay so she says all awkwardness aside I think Harry is a wonderful leader this reminds me of the discussion you guys had in episode 14 I think that Harry does not take anything lightly and somehow that's why when it comes to making decisions for a group Harry is very good but he is very rash when he makes decisions for himself alone good lord he has wanted Hermione to correct him and knock (laughs) oh she's not saying good lord like it's an explicative okay good lord he has wanted Hermione to correct him and knock him back to senses back to his senses so she's saying thank the lord he has Ron and in her mind. He correct him and knock him back to his senses. Yeah, he does. Yeah, he does. It's good. Um, and she said the idea of the words for the borough is just beautiful, channeling all positive thoughts for the borough. Wow.
3: Yeah, I mean, I think yeah. I, I think the dialogue there was a little clunky. Um, and obviously, I think Melinda was really just trying to work her way up. Um, to but the
0: thought is beautiful.
3: The, uh, the thought yeah. is, I mean, that's it. That's the basis of Harry, and you know, it's and that's what I love so much about fan fiction, like expectos, um, sacrificum or whatever we're calling it now from the end. I mean, what a perfect thought, you know, you, you defeat, you know, you defeat the dark Lord and you protect the person you love based on the fact that you love them. It only works if your feelings are true, because it's that thing that you can do outside of the problem. It's the love that you can show in your ordinary life that can save you. It's the little thing that you never think of. And I think that's, you know, reflected, you know, um, you know, here as well.
0: Yeah, completely true. So, um, I don't have anything more for those chapters. I'm all my notes I've covered.
3: I get the sense that the story is about to kick into gear. And I think that, you know, taking these five chapters to rearrange the characters and just kind of fix the setups that Joe, you know, left in the story that Melinda wanted to discard. I think that, um, these are the, these are the chapters where you see the seams, but I also think that you know it's needed for the setup, and it gets the job done. And even if it's a little conspicuous, I think that you know it holds together very well. So I just want to, again, um, just thank Melinda for um, letting us be part of this project, you know, and, and to review her fic and um, enjoying it very much.
0: Yeah, I couldn't agree more.
3: And we're going to end there before she has you know time to say something constructive.
0: Ha 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 ha. You're very nice.
3: I am a very nice person. So I want to thank Jen for sticking in with us tonight as long as she did while on Vicodin. I want to thank Brenda for trying to make it here tonight. It just didn't work out. Um, we hope to have her back very soon. And to um, Free Winky and to Phil, um, you know, who's about to become a dad again, which we're still thrilled about for him. Um, if you haven't already, uh, visit PyreficForum.com, Join our forums there. Um, if you you know have enough family already, join up. You know, what's a little bit more? If you don't have enough, you know, we're there. And uh, we hope you'll join us again next week for episode eighteen when we will uh, continue with the seventh Cracks. Have a good night, everybody.
1: Okay. Good night. Goodbye, everybody. I love you.
3: You're the one editing this episode, so you can do whatever oh, the you want.
0: Crying out monkey let Oh, damn it. Okay. Um. That's gonna be. it. Monkey butt. So Monkey butt. Jen's awake. Monkey butt. I can't hear you.
3: Hang on. Keep it up. Just keep talking. Kill Voldemort.
0: La 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 la. Then we're gonna try and figure out in the blue and real the hell we're making these noises.
3: La 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 la. La 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 la. If you've heard anything in this episode that you would like to comment on or would like to contribute to the show, you can email any of our staff at their names at potterficweekly.com or you can email staff at potterficweekly.com. If you would like to send in a voicemail message, you can either call 781-352-0643 and you can leave a voicemail up to two minutes in length, or you can email us an audio file to our email address, and we can play that on the show. You can also download a program called The Gizmo Project, and you can uh, contact us that way through your computer. For more information, visit potterficweekly.com.